RTB AM. I was really triggered. We don't want Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World Cup. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, you're very welcome along. It's Monday morning. It's myself here. It's Shane there. Good morning. How are things? And we also have Nathan with us. Morning, lads. Oh, yeah, everybody's full, full of the joys. <laughs> <laughs> Quick morning. off the mark this morning. Uh, we're all slightly distracted because the golf is on in the background. Roy McIlroy started the day with a three-stroke lead. It's down to one, and he's being stalked by Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed, my feature in the show this morning. Mm-hmm. little spoiler alert there. That's what they call a tease in the business. We might be talking about Patrick Reed today again, but that's what he wants. Sometimes I feel like if we just didn't talk about Patrick Reed, perhaps he would disappear. Yeah, maybe he doesn't exist. Maybe he's a, a. We would have to create a supervillain in the mold of Patrick Reed to entertain ourselves. I mean, mm. maybe he's a, he's like a fictional character, one of those three D printed human beings that has uh, come into being. Anyway, it is seven thirty one. Uh, there's loads for us to talk about this morning. If there's anything you want us to talk about, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. You can always leave a comment on the YouTube stream as well. Um, here's what's going up between now and ten o'clock. Uh, Mark Lawrence is going to join us at ten past eight. Alan Quinn is going to join us at half past eight. We've got Jenny Claffey talking tennis, and we have Anthony Moyles talking GA at around about a quarter past nine this morning. We'll play some clips from the paper review at half past nine. Uh, the the golf going into its fourth day, uh, or its fifth day. Nathan, I'm a big fan of this. I have to say. Right? Yeah, I do like a Monday finish. Though maybe it's just the profession we work in uh, where we can. Manage to watch that little bit of golf on a Monday. If you're stuck in the office and you got the sky go on on the sly in the corner, maybe it's a, a little bit more difficult. Uh, it's always better as well when Rory McIlroy's in contention and top of the leaderboard. And he's sort of like Jon Snow trying to fight off the White Walkers. He's there with his big sword saying, Patrick Reed, come at me. Ian Poulter, come at me. Live golf, come at me. Uh, it couldn't have been set up any better in terms of drama and everything that's gone on over the past year with McIlroy being the head of good in golf and live on the other side and this one of the few events where they're all in the field together and Patrick Reed has turned up and is playing and is playing well and has got himself somehow to the top of that leaderboard Ian Poulter is showing some form again uh, it'll be fascinating to see what McElroy's post-round interview is if he wins this tournament you think back to Canada and that little dig he had at Greg Norman does he just take his victory or does he have a little bit of a pop at uh, Reed and Poulter and the live guys he has to have a pop. I, I had a moment yesterday, lads, speaking of the viewing of it, where I uh, woke up at about, I don't know what time I woke up yesterday, but I was like, quickly, get upstairs. There's, there's only six, well, what, six, seven holes left of the final round in Dubai. Uh, for the entire duration of the last six, seven holes, I thought McElroy was about to win the tournament. I had forgotten. <laughs> so I, uh, it, took, it took me, when he, McElroy went into the water on the last, and I was like, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. He's grand, he's, he has it, he's a three or four stroke lead. Uh, and it was only when he was on the green putting to finish his final round that I realised oh, oh crap they lost, actually lost a day here yeah lost a day so I, I'd totally forgotten but um, uh, one of the joys of uh, being in your 20s <laughs> yeah maybe maybe uh, although I'm still doing dry January so I didn't, didn't even have that to blame alright okay so yeah uh, uh, if you are just waking up this morning um, Patrick Mahomes will be in the Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles 
uh, in a fortnight's time and was there anything else that happened overnight late oh Katie McCabe has been linked with uh, Chelsea Arsenal have apparently turned down the move uh, this is a big move Nathan if she can get it if she can get it if she wants it the line that stood out was that she would be interested in a move obviously Emma Hayes is the Chelsea manager Chelsea are uh, the favourites to win the league it would still be quite a shock because the way the women's game has developed, this sort of transfer doesn't always happen. And there's certainly no recent example of a player leaving Arsenal to go to Chelsea, uh, but it shows the value that Chelsea puts in Katie McCabe. It would be absolutely fascinating if Katie tries to push this through over the next few days. I know Arsenal were playing at the weekend in the Cup and had a comfortable victory. Uh, but you did wonder... There was a big game against Chelsea where she was left out just a couple of weeks ago and she was on the bench. Maybe that has an impact as well on what Katie McCabe is thinking. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 really, really interesting to see if uh, Ireland's best player was to leave the team second in the league to go and uh, move to the team that are the champions. Yeah, um, big move for her, big opportunity for her and a real sign at the level that she's operating at at the moment. It's 7.35 this morning. First couple of comments in. Uh, disgraceful tackle on Evan Ferguson. How did Liverpool finish the game with 11 from Jared O'Connell and Chris Cal? Oh, don't worry. That's going to feature in this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. The performances was just lacked that intensity. Boom. Right. Uh, the Gillette Labs performance rankings. Uh, every Sunday evening we put a little box up on Instagram, on our Instagram stories. And you can tell us who you think should be in the uh, red, in the amber. We struggle with the amber. <laughs> and sometimes we struggle with the green. Uh, not this week, though. No struggles this week. No, it's not. Uh, you know what? Some of the busy weeks, it can be a struggle because you don't know what to put in or what to leave out. But uh, I think we'll start with, uh, in the red, Fabinho. Um, one of the worst cameos of all time. Probably the worst cameo since Donald Trump in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Um, he was horrific when he came on and didn't add anything to Liverpool's midfield. And then there was the tackle, which uh, clearly got the YouTube commenters already talking this morning, lads. Um, I mean, if VAR have one job, they did it wrong yesterday. Because if there's ever an example of when you need to upgrade a yellow card to a red card uh, in Stockley Park, that was it. It was a horrendous tackle. Um, I know, Nathan, you were there, and, and you, we saw the images from your from your very phone of, of uh, Per Evan limping out of the stadium on his crutches. Really hope it's not a bad injury. I suppose we'll have to wait and see uh, uh, based off a scan today. Klopp's comments, and I have them in front of me here, were, were quite interesting. He said, first of all, he didn't see the tackle. But then he expanded on the tackle. He said, hear this. There was no dynamic on it. We can hear this. Oh, sorry, we have the clip. Yeah. Let's listen. The Fabinho challenge was no dynamic in, but I didn't just saw it once, not the second time. I think with dynamic, we can talk about the red card was more lying and then he hit him. Not cool. Um, Ibu, I didn't, I didn't really see in the moment. And, and, and Robbo, yeah, it's um, late in the, in the game. It's nothing to do with falling apart. It's frustration. It's, it's not right to do it. Um, well, against us, teams get constantly yellow cards usually, and nobody asks the opposition manager that quite these questions. But for us, we are not used to that. We don't do, we don't concede usually yellow cards. Um, but imagine a boys wouldn't re- react at all. I don't like it. I don't want think that's the right way to do it, and I have to look at twice or maybe three times to, to judge it a little bit better. Um, but again, I'm pretty sure um, your assessment or what you made of it is not right. But there is still your opinion, of course. 
Uh, so the, we didn't hear the question there, but presumably the question was, oh, you should have got a red card, right? And you'd imagine so. Yeah, Klopp is always going to defend his players. He always defends his players, win or lose after every game. But listen, there's no question, it had to be a red card. When you saw it first, it looked a little bit clumsy. But the second you look on the replay, and you can see why the referee maybe thought initially a yellow card, he's sort of clipped the back of his heel. Once you look at a replay, it's clear that this is an incredibly dangerous tackle. The raking down, the pushing through at the back of the ankle, and the damage that it has done to Evan Ferguson, it has to be, has to be a red card. And again, it's one of those decisions that makes you wonder what is the point of VAR. I think Andy Robertson was slightly different. It was, I'm not quite sure it was a red, but like Fabinho was the most nailed on red. And Fabinho knew. His reaction, he was like, oh, what have I done? I think Fabinho went in and it was, it was probably clumsy at first. And then he knew that the way he'd caught him, players know instantly in a split second the damage that they can do and the reaction and the awkwardness of Evan Ferguson's fall and yeah it was a really really bad end to what up to that had been a, a very entertaining game and you know I left the Amex yesterday feeling pretty down because you know watching Evan Ferguson go out on crutches like today is a big day in Evan Ferguson's career what that scan shows up and how long he's going to be out for I know there was a feeling leaving the stadium last night that they were quite hopeful that it, it wouldn't be an ACL and that it would be a lesser thing than that. He seemed to have a knee brace on. Um, you know, we're eight weeks today away from France. It's hard to see how he gets himself back in time and plays enough football ahead of that. But hopefully it's just some some bruising and it was the instant reaction and the pain of the tackle. But it, it certainly seemed to be more an, a knee problem for Ferguson than it was an ankle issue with the way and the awkwardness of the fall. And, you know, after playing so well again yesterday, I like, mm. probably should have scored, but his overall all-round game, you kind of have to remind yourself, this is an 18-year-old kid out there. He looks and he fits in so well against, you know, Liverpool played a lot better yesterday than they did two weeks ago. You know, he's alongside Danny Welbeck up front, England international Premier League winner. And there was no question when they were changing the striker, it was going to be Welbeck who would come off first because Ferguson had had a gr- much, much greater impact. And even the 10 minutes before he came off where Liverpool were starting to get a little bit of control and it was quite scrappy in midfield. They brought on Henderson, they brought on Fabinho. He just sat back into the midfield desperate to get on the ball all the time, little touches, getting himself involved. Not the performance I was expecting from I sort of thought, you know, against Liverpool, they might try and sit him off the shoulder of the defender, try and stretch the defence. This was all about playing in a deeper role, getting himself involved in the game, being a more creative force. And then he has the two chances, the first half when he, he really has to score, yeah, he needs to hit the first time. The second one, uh, he couldn't have done much more. But to go from that and watching that performance for 18 minutes and thinking, like Stephen Kenny, uh, as far as I know, was there yesterday. He has to be looking at that, going, this is exactly what we'll come up with against France. In fact, he might come up against one of these centre-halves in Canada against France. He's not going to be able to play off the shoulder. I'll need him dropping deep to get involved against France. And he was able to do it so brilliantly. And to finish then on crutches and, you know, a potentially very serious knee injury. Uh, it's, yeah, it's... It's just devastating, I think, for him and for, for all Irish fans. I had assumed it was... Uh, I hadn't even thought about the knee thing. This is kind of um, very depressing. I'd, I had actually not considered that that was going to be an issue this morning, that it was more uh, soreness, Achilles, and that can obviously bring its own... You know, if, if the Achilles is ruptured or whatever, that's a, a fairly horrific injury. Um, but, I, you know, uh, I hadn't thought about the possibility even of an ACL. So that's that is in the... 
potential circle of outcome here? It's, it's certainly, it looked like a knee injury. And the talk afterwards was that it was a knee injury. Now, obviously, the only, when I saw him walking past, was probably half an hour after the game. So I'd imagine there was quite a bit of swelling there. And I have to wait for that to go down before they can have the scan. I'm sure they'll have it as quickly as possible. Maybe it won't even be today. But that was the concern that it would be a serious knee injury far more than I was the same as you obviously watching initially. You look at the ankle and think, you know, maybe the ankle was quite sore with the way it went down. You know, maybe it was ligaments in the ankle. There is that piece where he walks around the pitch and he's getting the ovation. And unfortunately, like quite often, it is a ligament injury when you see that the player is able to walk initially. Uh, and it's later that they find uh, the full effects of it. But look, it's it's too early to say that it's anything quite that serious. And look, anything less than that, he could be back in a month, four or five weeks. Um, or maybe it's just severe bruising and he's going to be just fine and he'll be back. And, you know, Roberto De Zerbi was saying in a press conference yesterday that even he's been very surprised as to how good Evan Ferguson has been since he threw him in for the half an hour against Arsenal. Mm. Sort of forgets himself that he's 18 years of age. Uh, so, yeah, it's... It's it's an important couple of days for Evan Ferguson having got his way into the team. You know, he was been asked about uh, Undev, who was a sub yesterday, who came on from. Would he go out and loan? Maybe he doesn't go on loan if Ferguson's going to be out for a little while. So these are the little sliding doors moments that can happen in your career. But look, whatever happens, he'll he'll come back and he's going to go on and you expect become a big player for club and for country. Yeah, uh, the, there was a huge, huge this piece, was his time. A huge piece on Saturday in the the London Times about Ferguson and the making of him and his um, time as a kid in Dublin growing up and all that sort of stuff. And still that line about, oh, you know, hey, he could still play for England. I, I presume that's just a... Uh, Headline grabber, try and make everybody interested. Why am I reading about this eighteen-year-old? Oh, because he might play for England. Is that? <laughs> I think it, it, it definitely felt that way. I was um, desperately trying to find the article just in case there was a bit of depth to that. But I think it was just pointing out that he is eligible uh, to play for England. There's never been any suggestion at all uh, that he would. We've been heard once before. On so we're all just as a well, yeah, but listen. Yeah. Uh, Evan Ferguson was was born in Ireland. Uh, he's lived up in Bettystown all his life. So. I, I I suspect that was to uh, make it more interesting for the English audience. It, the, the fact that he he is a much fouled player, like you even saw Kanate having a having a piece out of him as well mm. and got a yellow card. Like it's just the, the nature of the position, I guess, holding the ball up and you're going to get chopped from behind quite often. And he and he holds the ball up so well. And as you say, Nathan, he had a number of flicks in the match where you're like this guy doesn't lose the ball too often. So we're saying he's more Harry Kane than Lewandowski. Is that what we're getting well, to? Uh, in the article yesterday, it said he modelled his game more than Lewandowski. I think against Liverpool they were looking for something else from him mm. but you would hope he can do both but you're right like Canad is a strong man yeah. and he held him off twice and that's why he was fouled because when he got the ball his first thing was to take the contact from the player to make himself as big as he possibly could mm. and they have a little bit of a nibble at him and he'd turn his back he'd shield the ball brilliantly so if he can drop back because again I think we've got to be honest here for international football you're going to probably need that for a lot of that yeah. number nine in the in the current system. So well, it means yeah, you can play him with any any of the other Irish strikers who we have. He can play with Adam Eda, He can play with Troy Parrott. He can play with Michael Obafemi. Like you can you can now have our three at the back and two up front, and he can drop deep or he can play play up top, and that's a brilliant flexibility built in, as you say, from an 18 year old for the rest of his career. Let's fingers crossed uh, that this is the worst injury he ever gets. Absolutely. Uh, now, I think, again, for 
those games where you're playing, uh, can we call anyone lesser opposition in international football right now, <laughs> where you want to play him and an Obafemi up front together. I think he has that ability. He still has a bit to go. The, in a way, he, he almost seemed reticent to get in the area at times, and Deserby touched on that as well, that his, his movement off the ball just needs a little bit of fine-tuning as to when he gets in the area, make sure he's desperate to get in there and there's a bit more movement. Like, look, I'm watching him and you're kind of thinking, what early Haaland do in this situation? And those little darting runs that Haaland makes all the time, he's, he's not quite doing that. But twice in the six-yard box, the edge of it, he found himself in the perfect position at exactly the right time. So he clearly has that little bit of know-how to find himself there. And listen, it's such a shame he didn't get that goal uh, early on yesterday to give Brighton the lead. But everything, like he... Again, he's eight, he's and he's he's not long gone eighteen. He's eighteen years of age, yeah. and he's played against the Liverpool team. We're, we're certainly a lot better than they were the last time they played Brighton a couple of weeks ago. And in no way would you have said this guy is a kid. Like he still only played one full ninety minutes of, of senior football, and that was in the Carabao Cup against Middlesbrough. He hasn't played another ninety minutes of senior football yet. So uh, let's hope that comes very very soon. But but that's the inexperience of the player and. That wasn't the player that we saw out in the pitch yesterday. Uh, Brandon Pank says, sums up Fabinho this season. Uh, Brian says, Jordan Henderson's still playing for a team who wants to win things. He's been finished for nearly two years, yet Klopp is still giving him a minute. Liverpool's performance gets worse every time he's on. Jack Nolte asks, do you think Klopp could be sacked this season? Headline in the back of all the English papers uh, are picking up on Andy Robertson's comments. Bad to worse. A new low in the FA Cup. I mean, look, it's the FA Cup. It's obviously, uh, it was an opportunity for them to win a trophy. Mm. They're clearly not going to win the Premier League this season. They're not out of the other ones. Very tricky draw in the Champions League. So maybe maybe they were desperate for a victory in that game. Uh, surely there's no there's not a world that exists in all of the many simulations in which Jurgen Klopp gets fired. No. No, there's no world in which that happens this season. They've lost nine games now in all competitions. And while there were moments yesterday where they looked... I wouldn't even say anywhere back to their best, where they looked like they had a bit of energy about them, at least. Like, this was a Brighton team missing Pesedo in the middle of midfield. You know, just so Leandro Trossard. And Brighton were the better team still for large, large parts of that game. They looked completely lost. Like, the Liverpool that we saw towards the back end of the last season that were winning the couple of Cups that were, remember, they were, what, with 20 minutes to go in the Premier League season, they thought one more goal probably wins them the league. Like, that relentless intensity that you just took for granted that was in every game. It's not there. It's not there. And Fabinho is the prime example of that. And look, I think I brought it up right at the start of the season, that game against Crystal Palace, where he misses the tackle. He never missed the tackle. Never missed the tackle for three or four years. And now he's missing tackles and he's loose and he's late. And you're right, Shane. He came on yesterday and he didn't, you're expecting him and Henderson to make the impact. I thought yeah. Henderson did all right when he came on, but like the midfield, and he's taking off a teenager. <laughs> for, and Fabinho's lessening the quality in, in the middle of the pitch. So they need to do something rapidly. It doesn't look as though they're going to do anything over the next 48 hours in terms of signing a midfielder. And it'll be the second time in three seasons that their season probably just ends up petering out unless they can just get a little bit of momentum somehow and get into the fight for the top four. But there's nothing we've seen since the return from the World Cup that they're just going to spark into life. It's there's not there. There's no fear factor either. Like I was even watching, uh, I guess we were all on Evan Ferguson watch yesterday in some ways. You obviously got it up close and personal, Nathan. But even from the tip-off at the very start of the match, he's standing on the, the, the halfway line, uh, standing with Mo Salah, I think, and they're having a bit of a conversation. And like you know, Salah had this aura a couple of years ago, and now all of a sudden, even when the, when the game kicks off, Ferguson straight away stops the conversation with Salah, runs straight away to, to kind of charge down the Liverpool defence. Uh, like 
I, I, we have Fabinho and Liverpool in the red, but realistically, it should be the VAR in the red and the officials because, as you said, Jer, what's the point? What's the point, like, in having VAR if, if, if the likes of that foul isn't upgraded? All right, we will come back to this with Mark Lawrence in, in uh, not too long. Uh, quick update in the golf: McElroy still a stroke clear. Uh, Reed and Herbert now fourteen under. McElroy's on fifteen under. Reed has finished his front line. Herbert's through eleven. McElroy is just on the ninth. And could do with an old birdie, just to remind everybody that um, he's not going to be purely playing defence today. Uh, let's move on. Patrick yep. Reed is also in the red. Well, he is indeed. Well, uh, he usually is in the red, but uh, we're going to stick with the golf because, uh, yeah, as we were watching yesterday... In we're the uh, just going to make a public service announcement here. We're going to be very careful not to get sued by Patrick Reed because he's uh, obviously... Litigious you know, individual. Yeah, and uh, as is his right. Yeah. If, you, if someone's done wrong by you, you've got to get out there and defend your name. Mm. All that... You know, all that honour that you've built up over the years, you've got to make sure that no one is trying to take away anything from that. Just uh, That's fair. Yeah. We, we accept crappy quiz questions to uh, Off the Ball Marconi House, uh, but we, we prefer not to get subpoenas to the door uh, if we can avoid it. So, uh, Patrick Reed, yeah, it was T-Gate, but then it became Tree-Gate yesterday. Uh, so, I mean, th- this is a boy who cried wolf uh, scenario because a lot of people were saying this incident, maybe we should give Patrick Reed the benef- benefit of the doubt. For anyone who missed it, DP World Tour issues a statement to clarify a rules scenario involving Reid, uh, courting controversy again at the uh, tournament in front of us, the Dubai Desert Classic. So he takes a penalty drop on the 17th hole of his third round yesterday after identifying his ball by specific markings when lodged up a tree. Now he says without that ad- identification, Reid would have had to return to the tee to play his third shot. Social media, of course, uh, gets active when this footage emerges, which appears to show Reid's ball landing in a different tree to the one he took the drop beside. Uh, Reid saying after the round... He was 100% sure he had seen his own ball with the assistance of binoculars. He says, I would have gone back to the tee if I was not 100%, uh, escaping with a bogey 5 en route to his 69, which left him in contention, of course, and uh, we see today the benefit of that um, lack of a drop shot on that particular hole. Uh, the turd didn't deny Reid could have dropped from the wrong tee, but seemed to assume responsibility, saying two on-course referees and several marshals identified with Reid his ball that had become lodged. Uh, who knows what's going on here, whether Reid's telling the truth or not, but... What happened was, um, takes a drop from beside the tree, social media burst into life, and uh, the rest is history. Patrick Reed is the bad boy again. You're watching this now? Yeah, his reputation doesn't help him in this scenario, and I've watched about eight different replays of various commentators breaking it down in slow motion to show that of the three, three trees that are there, uh, Patrick Reed's ball clearly goes in the first one. Yet he found his ball in the third one, which is about seven, eight yards uh, to the right of the ball that he says he saw his ball in. Now, there is the possibility that it hit that first tree and popped up into the second tree and that he's correct. They call this the magic bullet theory. Mm. There is also... There is back also back to the left. Back and to when the left. When you look at that tree, so these are palm trees, and when they zoomed in the TV camera, there's six, seven balls up there, even then that little shot alone. So this is a popular spot where your ball ends up getting stuck, and he plays a very popular brand of golf ball. Now, his markings are also very similar to what a lot of people would have. Now he has a little red mark that maybe not every golfer, but he has that straight line as well, and he says it's That's an why arrow in the red this morning, on the yeah. ball. So he claims that he saw the ball. Now, he also claims, I think, that it felt like the referee made the decision. So he described to the referee what the ball was like. He says, I can see it. And the referee goes, well, that's what that sort of ball is. Uh, at a 
listen, I think the referee's in a no-win situation. If he says, this is what my ball looks like, and there's one of them up there, well then, fair enough. Uh, but as I said, there were a lot of golf balls in that tree. A lot. I do buy the markings thing, though. Like, you know, everybody has a same. They don't really. Everybody has a slightly distinctive. It's not quite a snowflake or a fingerprint, but there's definitely, like you, so not everybody will have seen this, but you go to the range and the, the caddies are constantly like marking the ball to make sure that, because this is going to happen all the time. The landing zone for all the world's best golfers is, you know, very small area. It's not that, and as you say, they all play roughly the same brand of ball. So they are pretty good about trying to make sure that no one's going to end up playing their ball because that's a catastrophic mistake that could cost them in a major tournament. So I do buy the bit where he says, yeah, now that's my ball because it's got this, this, this and this and can you see this, this, this and this? And then, so there's a little bit of wiggle room here for me to think that for once Patrick Reed is not the villain we're making him out to be. Oh, you're going soft. You're going soft. No, yeah. the, problem, the problem for Patrick Reed is that there's no wiggle room with Patrick Reed because he has such a reputation. Uh, and you're right. Did anybody come over to him and say, actually, that ball didn't hit that tree? Like, we're looking several hours afterwards, people pointing out it wasn't in that tree. And if he assumes his ball's in that tree and there's markings that are either the same or very similar, well then, maybe he's perfectly entitled. Uh, obviously, the video footage shows that it's highly unlikely. Why is the video footage emerging hours later as opposed to in real time? Like, it's not as if they don't have a gazillion people working and the prize money is so rich and the, the tour company, they've invested so much money in the TV. I don't really understand why there isn't... Uh, well, I think... Uh, even on the and look the footage maybe the referee and uh, you know it has happened from time to time where you know radar will be down on the edge of the fairway and somebody in the they'll be looking for a ball and somebody will shout at them and go actually it looks like it's about ten yards further left mm. uh, on the TV footage uh, it, it, like the TV footage I'm, I'm, is it conclusive like is it beyond the realms of possibility that the ball hits the tree and pops out and pops up like it's traveling at a rate of knots and it goes out of picture. Perhaps, perhaps it's not. You're right. Lee Harvey also acted alone. It's it's totally true, uh, Nathan. But this is this is and look, Patrick Reed. I'm sure uh, will address this afterwards. But when you have that reputation, it means everybody is ready for the pylon. But look at if you're uh, wondering what to do for the next couple of hours, you've got Rory McIlroy one shot clear mm. of Patrick Reed. Yeah. Which even without all of this, what a subtext that was with. European Tour or PGA Tour against Live Golf. Uh, you know, this this is good Monday morning viewing. Without Teagates, which started the week where uh, Patrick Reed threw a tee at Rory McIlroy like a petulant, petulant child and then accused McIlroy of being a petulant <laughs> child. Uh, you know, notwithstanding the fact that Patrick Reed did destroy him in the Masters when they were up against each other a couple of years ago. So, like, McIlroy needs to see this out just for his own, you know, because they will come up against each other again in the major down the stretch. They will. Rory's never won on the first start of the year. Listen, I don't think what happens here will affect Reed McIlroy. I think Rory's going to contend in a lot of majors. I don't think Patrick Reed has that level of consistency. But there'll you be a bit of fire in Rory's belly. Never give a sucker an even break. You gotta, you there'll gotta be see a lot off. of fire in Rory's belly today. Mm. Three strong no, he hasn't leads. showed it. He's playing just very steady golf yeah. at the moment. Par, All right. Par, 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 par. All, All right. right. Nathan, good stuff. Thanks very much. Uh, the footage that uh, Nathan had, of course, is available to view from the Amex yesterday. Unfortunately, it is of Evan Ferguson on a crutch and uh, with what appears to be a knee brace as well. You can check it out on his Twitter and on our Twitter at Off the Ball. Uh, Roy McIlroy is a stroke clear. We'll keep you up to date on how that's going. That's the red, the amber. The amber, as you say, it's a difficult one to pick. But um, for anyone in the comments, uh, let us know if you saw this game as well because I was watching an FA Cup classic yesterday evening. Is the FA Cup back? Oh, it is. It is completely. Is that back. what we're saying? That like 
Man United and Alex Ferguson screwed the FA Cup by, you know, pulling out of it 25 years ago. Long time ago, kinda, yeah. Everybody kind of took that as their signal for this doesn't really matter. But it seems like everybody's picking their best teams largely, or very strong teams anyway. Yeah. And the games have been pretty good. The shocks have been off the charts. Is it back? People, teams want trophies, Jer. Teams want trophies, uh, as it turns out. Eric Ten Hag being one of them, because uh, United's team... I heard one of the Reading players speaking after the match at the, at the weekend where he was saying, we were waiting to see the United team that was dropped for the, for the Old Trafford match, and we were thinking, oh, he's going to play out a weekend team. He did not. He did not. No, he did not. They were absolutely buzzing, to be fair, because they wanted to play the United best players. Um, but I think it is back. I think there's a bit of excitement about it. We almost had magic at the Wrexham Racecourse ground. It just didn't happen. Birdie yet. time. Roy McIlroy uh, goes to 16 under. 16 under? Yeah, birdie. I mean, eight birdies yesterday, so... His first of the uh, the uh, front line on the ninth. Good time to get it. Yeah, two-shot lead. Um, yeah, the, the, the game yesterday, Wrexham 3, Sheffield United 3. For anyone watching this, it was a Hollywood Cup tie because you had Ryan Reynolds in the audience, in the crowd. Uh, camera, obviously, panning to him constantly and consistently. Rob McElhenney was, was in Philadelphia, of course, for his Eagles team. He apparently was watching the game uh, at the tailgate, of the Eagles match there's a tweet from Ryan Reynolds we have there uh, when at Rob McElhenney and I got into this it all felt so impossible but impossible is Wrexham's favourite colour that was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen thank you each and every Wrexham supporter who came out and aimed your heart at that pitch tonight there was that uh, strange uh, funny uh, coming together of Ryan Reynolds Alan Shearer and Gary Lineker before the game on television where they did an interview and um, I mean Reynolds was very good kind of talking about the whole dream uh, saying in 10 years time the plan is and always has been the Premier League uh, still thinks it's possible uh, and fair play to them they're a National League at the moment they're, they're fairly certain you'd imagine at the moment of, of promotion for the National League they're flying their home form is brilliant uh, they haven't lost a game at home all season I don't think um, so they're playing really really good football Tom O'Connor as well I should mention him he's a, he's a lad from the Wexford Kilkenny border uh, loved the hurling growing up uh, he's 23 or so at this stage he's Irish under 19 and 21 international a former teammate at underage level with Ireland of John Egan right. and uh, Egan of course scoring the 95th minute equaliser Tom O'Connor scored the second goal for Wrexham to put them 2-1 ahead uh, they went 3-2 ahead late on and uh, you're thinking this is it and then John Egan from a corner bundles in a goal to, to snatch victory from uh, from Per Wrexham and it's, it's a replay at Bramall Lane to come so not, not saying they can't get over the line in the replay but last night felt Especially with 20 minutes left, Sheffield United went down to 10 men. It just felt like the time was yeah. there for them. Although, just think of the, uh, the contents. Just think of the contents. That's well, it's all. content, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, I think they announced on Friday they'd sold 24,000 replica shirts so far this season, Wrexham. So, I mean, Netflix works. Nearly as much as Bowes. Nearly as much as Bowes and the, the uh, Bob... Uh, what is it? Bob Marley. Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Bob Dylan, but Bob Dylan's not on the Bohemian He's shirts. He's next. But uh, it was just one of those proper old-school cup ties. Even the red card, Jer, was a little circle red card. Oh, right. Wow. So, I mean, this felt, this felt old That's school. just for the cameras? I, I hope uh, so. Okay, so, as we say, amber is tricky because you could easily put that in the green. Yeah, uh, for they just the, didn't get over that, that line. Back, but, um, you know, they've got another bite of the cherry and we'll see if they can uh, make these... Standings again, I've no doubt they will over the years. Right, in green. Yes, in green. A lot, a lot of people already given out. No mention of Ross Common. Where are the Rossies? You didn't even mention them in the rankings last week. Um, <laughs> rubbing a bit of salt in the wound, says Darren McAlinden. What about Rory Began and his disaster kick out to Tiernan Kelly? Mm. Oh, I've, I've lost the Ross Common. David Clark. Again, Ross Common did not even get a mention in the rankings last week. Brushed over and probably had performance of the weekend. Look, we're getting to them. They're, they obviously deserve to be in the green, don't they? I, for one, am delighted that the league was back. Uh, made my way to Castle Blaney on Saturday night under the lights at Mary's Park for Monaghan versus Armagh 
result didn't go Monaghan's way. As one of the commenters points out, just the, uh, before half-time, Rory Began takes a kick out straight to Armagh's full forward, Tierney Kelly, uh, and kicks it towards goal. Rory nearly stops it on the line, but it bundles in. Just one of those... One of those days for Monaghan... Jack- you, were, you were being kind there. <laughs> I think if yeah. Rory had that whole thing over again... Uh, well, he should have stopped it on the line as he well. He should have stopped it on the line. Yeah, yeah. as well as the bad kick-out. So as he knows. Yeah. One, one of those moments that just wasn't great for, for Rory or Monaghan. Uh, Jack McCarran pulled up injured within the first 50 seconds for Monaghan as well. I mean, Conor McManus and the two Hughes brothers, Kieran and Darren, weren't involved, so they're to come back in. It's carry away for Monaghan next weekend. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're looking at that fixture going... Okay, probably need to win. A bitter, a bitter Kerry team as well, who feel like they were robbed up in Donegal. Oh, we're watching this game. Although, um, although I think, um, you know, uh, did they not have a point that was a bit dodgy at one stage as well? Jack O'Connor was not very happy with it. Well, yeah, O'Connor wasn't happy with the Donegal point in the first half from, was it Caelan McGonigal? Uh, young lad on his debut, man of the match, scored three points for Donegal. He was brilliant. Uh, but his second point of those appeared to go wide. Certainly from the angle of the stands and the, um, the management teams, this ball appears to go wide. It was waved over straight away, um, but then the, line, the sideline official queried it, queried it with the referee. The referee goes over to the umpires and they still decide, no, it was a point. Jack O'Connor was not happy. Well, whatever, whatever about that. And that's kind of stealing away from uh, Donegal. Well, yeah. For the last three minutes, they basically have possession and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be like the... Is it, was it the game against Armagh where... Uh, Derry had the ball a couple of years ago and couldn't even get a shot off Mm. but they were just being very 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 patient waiting for McBrady to get in the right spot to just sling it over his left foot yeah I mean, it's, it's a brilliant it, end to the game. It is one of those moments where you have to wind down the clock because if you if you score the winner so early, yeah, yeah, it's like American football. Yeah. Exactly. They were they were really smart with it, and still Kerry had a couple of chances uh, down the far end. So, <laughs> you know, I, my sympathy for Kerry in this situation is is very limited. And obviously, Kerry have a gazillion players still to come back. Uh, we should mention that Derry picked their Glen players. Yeah, mad. We should, we should mention that Ethan Doherty and uh, Connor Glass, like both playing. Uh, what do you what are you doing, Rory? Come on. Come on, just give, give the lads out a week off. Yeah. They didn't even talk about a week off, says Rory, afterwards. So it's a, it's a unique approach that they have. And look, um, I guess Division 2 in the league is actually far more important than the Ulster Championship this year because if they finish in the top half of that, they're guaranteed to be playing in Sam Maguire and they've already got their Ulster glory. So we'll see what happens. Um, it speaks volumes what's happening in Derry, though, because they want to play. You know, there's, a, there's obviously a mentality within that squad at the moment that we don't want to miss out here. We want to be playing straight away from the outset of the league. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, we should give the Roscommon fans what they want. Well, sorry, Kerry, like, Kerry played Paul Murphy as well. He was just a week earlier yeah. with Rat Moore, so it's not like they were the only ones at it. No Cliffords, though, and uh, no Cliffords next week either. I think Jack O'Connor saying for the Monaghan game next week, everyone who was missing yesterday will be missing once Are more. Are they not all banned anyway? Uh, no? <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. Uh, the a handy number. red card at the end of the season you're like oh, I'll have a couple of weeks off yeah exactly and the number of injuries in that squad as well the league being back though the, the Mayo game the Mayo Galway game yeah like yeah. brilliant goal of the season is already wrapped up oh, I mean James Carr just does he know how to score a normal goal I don't think he does oh shit ooh Patrick Reid almost had an albatross it looks like that's not what you want to see uh, is, that a, is that a long club it is a long club yeah. It's a strut for me, you know. And uh, Poulter sitting there in second as well, ready to pounce. But yeah, t- still a two-shot lead. Uh, not for long, because he's definitely on a par five, and he, I think he nearly had. Uh, Straight uh, and true. Yeah, anyway, look. Woo, that was one of those ones where you're watching the Masters on the, on the Saturday oh, and the Sunday, wow. and, and somebody hits that like on the 10th, you're like, okay, well, sure, we can all go to bed now, because if, you, if you're doing that, it's, it's game over. Yeah. So I think he's going to have like a tap-in eagle putt to go level. 
with McElroy. Anyway, mm-hmm. go on. Um, yeah, the Mayo Galway game, brilliant. Draw, probably the fair result. Paul Joyce, speaking to Ashley afterwards, wasn't happy with the added time. Certainly felt like they went a minute above what they should have. Um, I mean, judging by the clock on screen, it didn't appear that they, they went too far over. Uh, I, I don't know. It was a brilliant score by Ryan O'Donoghue to, to level the game. Yeah, it was. Yeah, when, you know, earn a point for that. And a little bit of sportsmanship as well. I think it was Sean Kelly marking him, who was smirking at him as he walked back over to him and kind of gave him a pat to say, "Great, great score." Yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I wonder if there are previous conversation between the two. Maybe, maybe not. I um, mean, he'd missed one. Yeah, a few minutes before that too. So uh, it, it's back. We've got Moyles on a little bit later on this. Uh, Colm has joined us. Morning, lads. Colm, bad weekend for Cork. That weekend for Cork, yeah. Well, yeah, it's a mixed weekend because they were the Sherlock, though. 14 points at the 19. He'd yeah. be delighted. Highest yeah, scoring yeah, defeated team. Yeah. All of our three teams they lost. Had for 52 minutes. Cork, Monaghan, and Kildare. Last quarter that it went bad. Yeah, true. Only the first game. We had a bad weekend, lads. Yeah. Um, what a weekend of sport. I think I watched eight different games on Saturday yeah. on the TV. Should <laughs> different sports. Like, now that you're married, you do that. Mm. Well, I had the house to sell myself. So it was 8am to 10pm of watching. It was 14 hours. What were you watching for the women's final? The women's final in the Australian Open, which, by the way, was a cracker. Arena Sabalenka won her first uh, Grand Slam title in her first Grand Slam final beat. Alina Rabakina, who's the reigning Wimbledon champion. This is some match, lads. Two and a half hours over three sets. Uh, Rabakina won the first set and then had two break points in the first game of the second set, so could have wrapped this up pretty comfortably. Mm. Sabalenka had a 3-0 winning record heading into that match against Rabakina. Uh, but then she went from there. She hit 51 winners, Sabalenka, in this final. That's outrageous. Like, anything from 20 to 25 is really impressive, so 51 is amazing. Right. And Rebecca hit 31. And they were just going for it. Like, they're very similar players. We'll get a bit more on this later with Jenny Claffey, who will break it down a little bit more. But they're basically power players who just go for everything with flat ground strokes. So Sabalenka hit 28 unforced errors. Rebecca hit 25. So they were just hit or miss the whole time. They were just going for it. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being that like it was this power fest where the longest rally was 13 strokes, which is really short. So the average rally was 3.28 strokes, which is really low for that level of the game. But the quality of hitting was amazing. Just winner after winner after winner after winner. And Sabalenka, it's an incredible redemption story. Last year, she hit something like 450 double faults, uh, completely got the yips on her serve to the extent that she started serving underarm. Her coach, her long-time coach, um, offered to resign. She said, no, no, we'll sort this, we'll sort this, don't worry. And she basically spent uh, 2022 um, taking responsibility for herself in her own words. So she dropped her sports psychologist. She said she was outsourcing all of her problems too much and she needed to resolve them herself. <laughs> and she kept the coach. And now we've gone to the point where she went from 450 double falls last year, completely disastrous server, to um, being a kind of a serving sensation. She hit 17 aces in this final. Right. We're back and hit nine. So it's a, it's a brilliant story. And then, of course, the other side of it, too, is she was playing under a neutral flag. She's from Belarus. So uh, Sabalenka wasn't allowed to play at Wimbledon last year. And as it stands, she won't be allowed to play at Wimbledon this year because they still have that rule in place where no Russians or Belarusian players are allowed to play. Whereas in the other three Grand Slams, they can play, but under a neutral flag, like at this one. And afterwards, Sabalenka was quite open about the fact that she's proudly from Belarus. So it's a victory for her and for them. She's quite close to the uh, country's president as well. But... Uh, you know, thankfully for Sablenka, she's um, fulfilling her promise. Herself and Maria Sakkari are two of the most talented players in tour, but just couldn't get it over the line. As I say, this is Sablenka's first Grand Slam final. She had been to three semi-finals before and basically blew it. Mm-hmm. One was against Barbara Kuchikova in the French Open 2021, where she had a match point in the semi-final. And Kuchikova won that. And another was against Emirata Kanu, 
Oh, sorry, Leila Fernandez in the US Open the year that Emma Raducanu won it. So, finally, Sabalenka made it. Okay. And then the other one, obviously, uh, Novak wins. Novak, you'll be delighted. 10 finals, 10 wins at the Australian Open. And overall, he's now level with Rafael Dal, 22 Grand Slam titles apiece. I think to, we need some way of, um, you know, deciding the GOAT. If you're going to, because keep, people keep coming mm-hmm. at us in the comments going, oh, the GOAT. You need to um, take out the tournament that they win the most and then see who's left. Mm. That'll be it. So you That's take not out, fair, you though. take out the twelve. Well, Paris they still won the tournament. Or you take out these ten. Would Federer have the most even spread? No, uh, Federer only won Roland Garros once, and Nadal uh, was knocked out by the guy he beat in the final, Robin Soderling. Whereas Djokovic has won the French Open twice, and one of those times is beating Nadal en route in twenty twenty one, which is one of the greatest matches of this century, and he's won the US Open three times. Nadal has won the Australian Open only twice last year was the second and that was without Djokovic playing so there's an asterisk there and he's only won Wimbledon twice Nadal and the last time was 2010 so I would say Djokovic is the best spread and like Djokovic like he's won the Australian Open 10 times fair enough but uh, like Nadal is 14 at the French Open and I think Federer is 8 at Wimbledon um, I would say overall Djokovic here's an interesting stat though Djokovic has yet to win a Grand Slam without dropping a set whereas Nadal and Federer did that several times mm. so Djokovic dropped the set in the second round this year but though, look the, the whole emotion about this probably the biggest takeaway look the match itself against Stefano Tsitsipas wasn't uh, great didn't live up, live up to expectations mm. the second time they've met in a Grand Slam final Tsitsipas went two sets up in the French Open final in 2021 but this time Djokovic won a straight set Tsitsipas had a set point second set in a 15 shot rally where he was just waiting for Djokovic to miss until Djokovic hit a winner and that was really the end of the match as a contest even though it was two tie breaks after that afterwards uh, Djokovic collapsed in his box did in he? Tears. Yeah. oh in tears yeah right okay because uh, oh, the injury I'm injured I'm so injured yeah, no you're not I'm so he's just that you're not, it's not credible it's not credible my point sorry is if on. you take out the one that they won the most right mm-hmm. then what are you left with in terms of numbers that would be interesting Mm. What have we got? We got uh, seven and three is ten, and two is twelve for Djokovic. You take his ten out uh, for Nadal. If you take his fourteen out, he's got eight. Mm-hmm. And if you add up Federer's, he's also got twelve. Yeah, but he, Federer's on twenty overall. Yeah, no, but, but you take out, yeah. take out the one they won the most. Take um, out their favorite surface. Yeah, what have they left? You'd have Djokovic and Federer. You see, see, see the gymnastics. I'm, uh, I think uh, I still I still think it's Djokovic. If you're going to say that, they, they all have lovely well, trophies. Well, because Federer only won the French Open once, and but it's the same number. Yeah, but it's an even spread. You're talking about the spread, like no, I'm the, about the lowest numbers. number that Djokovic has won at any Slam is the French Open, and that was twice, and he beat the greatest player on clay ever to win that. Okay, <laughs> Do you know. Um, Why don't you just marry Novak Djokovic? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, you know, you, uh, I think he should be defended. I really, I, I think Djokovic is great to watch, and he's brilliant. What's it, in his What's in his bottles? That's well, all. We, that's, he should uh, tell us a bit more about his uh, incredible fitness. I don't know regime. where you're going with that, but I think um, look, he wasn't going to play like this tournament. He had a hamstring injury. He didn't and he, have, and did he he have says, a hamstring injury? And, well, he seemed grand. He seemed to get his better. His coach Goran Ivanisevic afterwards said 97% of the players would have pulled out with the results from the MRI oh, scan, but Djokovic oh, didn't. And Djokovic's annoyance afterwards yesterday was saying that a lot of people doubted the legitimacy of the injury. It's a flu game. You know, a lot of people did. So we had that. He had coming back after last year being deported. And he basically has uh, where he what falsified he feels medical records is a perception against him and should have been uh, banned from the tour. He ain't great, but he did it. Yeah, he did I'm, it. I'm and now we're level. And look, the French Open's going to be class. 
because you have Nadal Djokovic 22 apiece and then Carlos Alcaraz if he's fit he was world number one heading into this tournament now Djokovic is again yeah, show up Alcaraz come on let's be having you sensational should mention before we before we wrap on the performance rankings lads uh, so and look people are saying in the comments I'm not giving Donegal credit it's paining me to give Donegal credit Donegal were brilliant well deserved their victory and Roscommon fans I know I hear you three second half goals you were brilliant what a win Davy Burke what a man have you heard the, the down backroom news over the weekend as well no this, uh, this snuck under the radar a little bit it was uh, so down had a great win in Thurless uh, to kick off their league at the weekend Jim McGuinness apparently is in the down backroom team what? Yes. Officially? Stevie Poacher has, uh, has said this yesterday, um, that Jim McGuinness is, as of last week, part of Conor Laverty's down backroom. They're going well. They're, you know, they had a, a decent McKenna Cup, a uh, good win against Monaghan, and then they come into the, the league with, with a very, very, very good win down in Thurles, considering the struggles they had in the league last year. But apparently, uh, I'm just looking at the tweet in front of me here from Stevie Poacher yesterday. Massive win for Downaway in Thurles. First real competitive win in over a year. Will be a huge relief to the group. Plus, the addition of Jim McGuinness this week has given the whole county a lift. Exciting times. He's a Gaelic Life com- columnist, of course. Uh, we know Stevie Poacher from this show. Good source, uh, but apparently he's back in. We buried the lead. Yeah. We buried the lead. That'll uh, just, just came to me again there yesterday. We will, just there now, so. we will come back to that with Anthony Moyles a little bit later on, but at 14 minutes past eight, that is this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. Patrick Reed has just gone level at the top of the leaderboard with Roy McIlroy after a tap-in eagle on the 10th. Roy McIlroy is on the tee, looking at the leaderboard, going, oh, my three-stroke lead down to zero. It's going to be a bit of an epic back nine at the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. We'll keep you up to date on that as the morning unfolds. Now, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball. Braeburn Coffee is coming to an apple green store near you. With new Brayburn locations popping up every month, visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your latest, nearest Brayburn coffee experience. Up next, Mark Lawrenson on Liverpool. OTB AM. Right, it's uh, 17 minutes past eight this morning here on OTB AM. I'm delighted to say that we've got Mark Lawrenson with us this morning. Mark, good morning to you. How are you? Morning. All good, thank you. I'm going for Rafa. Oh, yeah, me too. Proper athlete. Yeah, and, and, and a likeable chap, which is yeah, important. absolutely. Yeah. Um, Jurgen Klopp and the situation he finds himself in at the moment Andy Robertson unfortunately gave a little bit of a hostage to fortune in the post-match where he was like oh this is a new low is it a new low? it's a cup game it went end to end you know they're up against a team who are really good at the moment like yeah no it's not, not it's not a new low um, to be honest with you I think I think a draw would have been a fair result obviously you know Matoma's goal he took it up Brilliantly, Joe Gomez once spanking for what he did, turned his back on him, etc. But no, I think there are, there are there's little signs that they're starting to get a little bit better. Obviously, kept two clean sheets beforehand in the first half yesterday. They could have actually been two or three nil in front. Um, we we know all is all is not well, but they, they've certainly improved a little bit. And as everybody knows, just waiting for the. The injured players to come back, but no, it's it's most definitely not. That's not a new low. No. Uh, what is the situation at the moment with regards to uh, how well the team is playing? Where where are they in that cycle of uh, not playing well at all uh, to the absolute peak that we've seen them? Because you know the season is not over. There's still massive games against Real Madrid to come. Yeah. Where if they they could easily turn the season around with two titanic performances there, and suddenly everything is is calm again. Well, the seasons the, the next the two games against Madrid. A Liverpool season, aren't they? In a, in, a, in a nutshell, and I think he might have 
a couple of players back by them, which will be obviously beneficial to him. Um, they've had that. They've had a really, really poor run. They've conceded poor goals as well, and we we know all about the problems in midfield, etc. And they they won't really be addressed until the end of the season, start of next season, and they're having to make do. And some of the the kids are coming into play as well, but. I mean, I've seen every game in the last, well, probably the last 15 of the games, I've seen every single one. And, and they were actually quite good yesterday. And as I say, in the first half, they, they could have they could have run away with it. And Salah, for once, started to look like he might be a little bit interested. He's been very disinterested, in, in all honesty. But uh, he, he was definitely ready for it yesterday. It's it's one of those, isn't it? It's, it you know, the thing with football is if, if the top team, if you're not winning, you know, it's all wrong, it's this, you've got to sign him, you've got to do this and change the team and all those kind of things. But they're not a million miles away, but they're just, they've just not been good. And, and, you know, I think Klopp's openly admitted that no matter what he's, what he's done. And, and like anything, when you suddenly think you started starting to play well and winning games, um, and yesterday was just unfortunate. I think there was a point yesterday, Laura, on, on commentary when Ali McCoist pointed out the fact that Liverpool's fullbacks just don't get forward as much as they used to. Um, and you're watching um, Trent and Robertson. Like, is it, is it, are they more risk averse maybe now than, than they would have been in, in seasons gone by? Well, I think I think the boy Mitoma. I, I mean, he turned he turned Trent inside out. I mean, he was he was a game's best player. He was he was outstanding. So um, I think that limited Trent most definitely. Robbo. Robbo's not had a particularly good season. Uh, I'm sorry, not as good as he has been. And there's, there's normally been eight or nine out of ten. He's, he's just not quite at it. But he's he's one of many. And obviously, if they knew why, they'd rectify it. But they they just can't. They just don't know. I mean, there's, there's lots of theories. And we know that they played every single game possible last season. And they hardly had any rest at the end of the season. And I think because of the way they play, that, that's really affected them. Um, lacking in legs in midfield, we've got young legs but without experience. And then we've got experience without legs. So, I mean, what do you do? Uh, I mean, Fabinho yesterday should have been sent off most definitely. He's, since he's come back from the World Cup, I don't know what's happened to him. He's, and he hardly played in the World Cup. Did he start one game maybe? So there's, there's a whole litany of, of, of players who who just haven't been able to perform to the very best. And then it, when you, you chuck the injuries, and I'm not, I'm not sort of saying, you know, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a big fan, but I'd like to think that every time I look at the game, if if they're poor, they're poor. Um, but they weren't, they weren't poor yesterday. Um, as I say, first half they could have been three up, and that would have obviously made a, a great difference to them. It was a it was a shocking tackle from Fabinho and Evan Ferguson, wasn't yeah. it? I know VAR probably has. Um, we have to take a look at VAR because surely that Listen, should have been upgraded to a red. Is one for you. The VAR guy yesterday is my mate, a fella called Neil Swarbrick, who's a, a Preston boy, and I texted him afterwards, and he actually said to me, he said, "I like referees to referee." So take it, but it was it was just a, a poor tackle. And in fairness to Fabinho, he knew. He absolutely knew, and, and he hung around as to say, look, I'm sorry, but I didn't mean it, but it, it should have been sent off, yes, definitely. That's an interesting point about um, the letting the referees referee, right? Because it, it, yeah. it just, they're not actually supposed to referee anymore. They're supposed to keep the flags <laughs> down. Do you know, the, the linesman is supposed to keep the, the flag down until yeah. the end of the play, and then at the end they put the flag up. So it, it, we're in this kind of weird paradoxical situation where 
no one really knows what's supposed to happen? No. Well, you're you're absolutely right. And it's chaos every time, isn't it? And I tell you where we've been really, really fortunate with the with the linesman with the flag down is that nobody's been seriously injured with letting the game go on. Look, if you're offside, you're offside. Put the flag up. I, I, I really don't. I really don't get it at all. Um, and it will happen if it continues, where somebody will get seriously injured, and then there'll be there'll be well. You can imagine what the fuss that's going to happen after that, can't you? Yeah, and in this instance, I have a feeling that potentially the referee was like, oh, look, if that was really that bad on replay, because I, you know, I think it might have been bad, but it could easily just have been, it could easily just have been a fairly stereotypical yellow card. I'll get picked up by the VAR guy, and the VAR guy's like, oh, no, the referee obviously didn't want that. And so all of a sudden you have this kind of disconnect, because I don't know how much conversation there is in the build-up to the match. Are you going to referee everything? Yeah, let me go, let me do my job. You know, uh, um, yeah. What you, you mean? You mean with the VAR guy? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point. Actually, I would, I would imagine that there's probably none because they all sort of know know the rules, and it's just you know on you go and 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 referee. And I mean, it's, it drives everybody mad, doesn't it? And they need to sit down at the end of the season. We've got we've got a new guru as well now in terms of VAR and everything, haven't we? I do love a good guru. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I can't remember his name. He, he, he did the World Cup final when I was at it as well. Was was, was at Holland and Spain. Howard Webb. The referee. Oh, What's yeah. his name? Howard, Howard Webb. Webb. 2010, yeah. Howard Webb, yeah. Howard Webb, who's actually a decent bloke, by the way. So I think, I think, and he's just, I think he's just got in the job. So we give him a little bit of time. But next season will be interesting. The start of next season, most definitely, because you'd like to think that many things will change. Um, and when we wait and see. Well, look, let's talk about the good of our Evan Ferguson then. Uh, 18 years of age. We've obviously mm. known about him for a long time as the, the great white hope of Irish football. But it seems like the, the rest of the English football media in particular are starting to um, wake up to him. Fingers crossed the, the injury is nothing too significant. Yeah. But his performances have been spectacular for an 18-year-old. Yeah, no, outstanding. His understanding of of, of uh, where he's playing and how he's supposed to play in that position is is excellent. I just I just I think he'll be okay. I just think it's a, a heavy whack on the back of the leg. I don't I don't think it's muscular or anything like that. And he he, he seems to me like a roughy and a toughy, so he, sh- he should be okay. Um, and the thing with him, obviously, is is just he's got to keep learning. But to to stick him in and play him on a regular basis with with all that they've got at Brighton is. Is a fair old statement, isn't he? And um, he's he's learning, and he's getting. He seems to get better each each day, each game. Sorry, he's scoring goals. So, yeah, wrap him in cotton wool. As a as a former defender yourself, uh, Laura, like how difficult is it to come up against a striker of Evan Ferguson's type? Because he holds the ball up so well, he can shoot, he can score goals as well. But he gets involved in the play a lot. We saw Kanate, you know, chopping a, a piece out of him as well earlier in the game. Yeah. So he's tough to mark. Oh yeah, he's tough to mark, and he's he's and he's strong, and he lets you know that he's there, and he's got pace. So um, yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's just one of those, but um, he can't play without the ball, can he? Well, true. His movement is quite good, though. Like he seems more mature no, than an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, honestly, for his, for his age, he, he understands the position, and he just, you know you see young players coming in and running all over the place, and you see him chasing down fullbacks and everyone, all the. Supporters applaud him and oh, brilliant and all that. He's he's cleverer than that already. So and I think he's got 
uh, a really good manager, and just just the fact that he's playing, he probably wakes up every day at the moment and thinks like, "Wow, I'm I'm to- I'm in heaven here. This is this is great." But also how easy it is. So he will get better, but then he'll go through a little spell where things don't work, and that's really when we decide as as players looking at him how good he's going to be. Everybody has it. They come in and have that season and, you know, they score goals, knock people around and look brilliant. And then everybody who plays against him in the next season, they kind of, they have a plan to play against him. And if you can overcome that plan, if he can overcome that plan next season, he is going to be a real player. Uh, Just to tell everybody, Roy McIlroy and Patrick Reed both made birdies in the space of about five minutes there and uh, both are on 17 under par. It's a pity they're not playing together. That would have been box office, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, the way it's working out is that Reed is just that one hole ahead of him. So McElroy is watching everything that's happening. And every time McElroy plays a good shot, Patrick Reed is like storming off the next green, having just sunk either an eagle or a birdie. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it, it's, uh, it's, it's working out all right. Um, good. Uh, you, you see a good bit of pressing at the moment. And you've, uh, Alan Brown and Robbie Brady are playing. Obviously, they, they didn't, they weren't able to do anything in the cup yeah. game. And Troy Parrott was unavailable because he's on loan from Spurs. But how are, how are Brown and Brady in particular playing at the moment? Because they're kind of key players for Ireland. Brown, he's been iffy. Uh, we got left out the other week. He's, he's had a, a so-so season. Robbie, Robbie Brady's done well. He, d- he doesn't play every game. But no, Robbie Brady's d- done well. I mean, the, the thing about them, they're, they're a really defensive team, Preston, because <laughs> they, don't, they don't score many goals. And, and if you look at the record, they hardly ever win at home or score, but they, they win most of the games away from home. That's, that tells you everything about them. But um, yeah, Brownie's, Brownie's just, he's, a, he's had an, an in and out season. So um, hopefully he can kick on now till the end of the season. But Rob, Robbie's done well. He's been a good signing, actually. Troy Parrott, obviously, uh, injured the hamstring in the process no of, pace. of scoring. Troy, he's got, he's got no pace, I'm afraid. Um, and, you know, he, he's a nice footballer, but he hasn't scored many goals, as we know, as well. But he's, he's, he's got no pace. And um, I'm sorry at that level. And, that's, and, it's not, and it's not his fault. But at that level, um, you know, it, I, don't, I don't know where he'll end up. He's obviously only on loan at Preston. He'll go back to Tottenham. But he, he, he certainly will not get anywhere near Tottenham's team, I'm afraid. What's the options then in terms of the Republic of Ireland strike force, Mark? Because Michael Obafemi secured a move to Burnley at the weekend, which was great to see. Aaron Connolly with yeah. a couple of goals for Hull. You've had Amida in the conversation as well. Uh, so there's options there. You mentioned Paris. Well, it started, to look, it started to look better. We've, we've had games where we look and think, like, who the hell's going to play up front? Um, so I think it's like anything. Once you get competition for places, it, it pushes players on. Um, you know, and... and Ferguson should, you know, he's there, isn't he? You, you stick him in. Why? Why wouldn't you? Uh, because what we've got at the moment, we just we struggle to score. I mean, Republic of Ireland are a bit like Preston, as far as I'm concerned. Is which is, and you know, the top end of the pitch is the most important of, of any football team. And if if you're not scoring goals regularly, thing about it is the opposition know, and and they're sort of saying, look, don't make any mistakes. And these these guys struggle to to make opportunities, so. Yeah. Um, so hope, hopefully they, they all kick on which would be great he's suddenly got four or five in contention that definitely will push players on 
Uh, one last thing, Matt Doherty obviously uh, played played seventy minutes um, and seems yeah. to be slightly ahead of Emerson Royal at the moment because there's been a falling out with Royal. Um, yeah. uh, how did he play? How did Doherty play against Preston? I'm not being funny. I could have played at right wing back <laughs> at sixty five. Um, Matt, he did, he did well, but it was I don't know if you saw the game, but basically Preston set up first off not to concede. Really seriously did, and Tottenham had so much possession, but they were. I don't. I think the keeper had to make a couple of saves, uh, Woodman for um, Preston. But generally, generally, Tottenham just played in front of Preston. It was like have the ball, pass the ball. There were so many balls sidewards and all that kind of stuff. And you kind of thought it was just so easy. It was just so easy for Matt Doherty. But he never kind of got in in any position where crosses in or or whatever like that. Purely and simply because Preston sat there and, and made it difficult. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Some, sometimes when you watch games like that, I mean, if you looked at Son, Son was the only player on the pitch, basically, who got his head up and t- tried to beat people and tried to score, um, of which he obviously was successful early in the second half. But you, you, look, you look at the games and you're thinking, and you look at, you know, you're probably all those stats and you go, well, he completed 193 passes. But you know what? 192 of them were either sideways or backwards. I mean, do you get that when you watch it? Do you, do you feel like that? Because I do. Yeah, sometimes it definitely feels like it's um, uh, for no particular purpose at all. Yeah, I know it is, isn't it? And then, I mean, that, that's why, you know, the top teams are the top teams because all the midfield players get the ball and the first thing they do is look forward. All right, sometimes you can't pass it, but, you know, you, you look forward all the time, try and play somebody in and, you just see game after game after game and you think, oh my God, what is it? Mark, we leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Pleasure. It's Mark Lawrence giving us some thoughts on uh, various situations over the course of the weekend. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. You need to subscribe to our YouTube channel, by the way, to uh, leave a comment that's something new. Um, and you can also get us 0879-180-180 that's the WhatsApp number just looking at the comments from Shifty Lad Rory's shoulders are down I hope he starts bounding down the fairway soon it's definitely affecting him that it's Reed. Uh do you think it is? the oh, fact yeah. that it's him chasing yeah, yeah. him yeah. that gets in your head Reed is uh, playing unbelievably well he's uh, had a chip in from a bunker he's had an eagle which was nearly an albatross mm. as soon as McElroy went back in front Reed had a tap in birdie at the par 3 after his eagle so he's on a bit of a roll at the moment uh, they're tied at 17 under a piece. McElroy's a hole behind Reed. McElroy's through 10, Reed's through 11. So we'll keep you up to date on how the uh, Hero Open is going in Dubai. It is 8.33. Up next, Alan Quinn. And first, here's Gavin Comiskey talking about Bundyaki on the pay-per-view. Again, I, I don't know because it's, there's been, it's all, we're in a world of conjecture here with Bundyaki because there has to be something wrong if your best player ever to play for your province, still in the prime of his career, is not getting picked on the It might be the, the case bench. that, you know, he could be on the road to a move okay but you get it out there because again we're guessing now yeah that was yeah, I heard yeah. Rory O'Connor talking about some, some kind of an attitude yeah, uh, which we don't again. know okay, we don't know it's just like it's source based <laughs> I noticed the local reporters didn't ask when they had Andy Friend or they had the Connacht lads up for media last week um, it should be a bigger story than it is that uh, the the almost I'd say he's pretty nailed on starting 12 for Ireland can't get it he doesn't have an injury doesn't have an injury and can't get on the bench for his club What's From an Irish point of view, uh, in a World Cup year, as we say as well, how much rugby is he going to play? 
he'll play five games in the Six Nations he'll play a bunch of warm-up matches and they're ready to go but I'm sure they'll have to fix it up you know yeah. but then again I, 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 I any know. friends picking a good young lad of 12 from, yeah, that they brought, brought from the academy I don't academy. know if he's going to pick Aki like, you know, he could pick Osborne or McCluskey you know, maybe on the basis of the fact they've been playing games yeah We'll keep talking about this. This will be go. This will go longer than Croke's Glen. I bet, I bet Nothing will go longer than Croke's Glen. <laughs> Nothing will go longer. They have the nipping in the bud though, because uh, you bring him into the Six Nations, and if he's outstanding, which I think he will be, I think he'll, I think he'll just come in. Now, maybe, maybe not. Maybe Jamie Osborne will pass him out when he gets into camp. We'll see. But um, strange one, isn't it? That it's just still lingering in the wind there. That we haven't got an idea of what what the story is. Uh, that's Gavin Comiskey speaking on the paper yesterday about the Bundyaki situation and who might start for Ireland over the course of the Six Nations. Um, Alan Quillen is with us. Might as well just start there briefly to pick up on it. Um, like, the Irish management are very loyal to you if you've done stuff for them, and on, in some instances. And then in other instances, they're like, well, just pick it on form. So what do you think they're going to do with Bundy? They obviously need Bundy. They, they want him around. So will they reintegrate him into the Ireland squad and then hope that he makes some peace with Connacht? You would imagine so. I think um, I'm not. I'm, he hasn't played a lot of rugby, has he, in the last couple of months? Um, Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I can't decide. Are we delighted that he's fresh coming into the Six Nations and ready to explode into it, or you're like, well, not quite sure about his form? He's the kind of fellow you need to need need playing matches. You know that um, if you put Bondiaki out in a big game, even if he hasn't played in a while, that he's he's well capable of delivering. He's a phenomenal player. He's a big game player. He has the temperament to kind of be fired up and ready to do a job but I suppose that little bit of sharpness and um, you know match fitness and stuff um, helps a lot um, Robbie Henshaw hasn't played in ages would Andy Farrell put him straight back into a team Robbie Henshaw possibly um, he's done that before Leo Cullen's done it as well so I'm not sure <coughs> if um, I, I would think that the natural inclination here is Bondiaki Gary Ringwald in the centre next week but there's kind of little rumours and whispers that it, it could be Stuart McCluskey. Right. Um, I was hoping you were going to say Osborne there because we're all excited about the there. new shiny new thing. He's yeah. probably a bit away, Osborne, in mm, fairness. He's not he? that far away, I don't think. Right. I think he could be he could be an option off the bench. I don't know for the first game. Um, but again, it's only speculation. Bundyaki could start on Saturday and you know, I would have no issue with it. Irish fans would have no issue with it. Um, but the only concern is he hasn't played a lot of game. Gavin Comiskey's talking there, and, and it's again you're hearing little whispers and rumours that there's some bit of a, uh, <coughs> a clash there. Um, Andy Friend obviously hasn't clarified. They haven't picked him in a couple of weeks. Is it a disciplinary thing? Is it an attitude thing? We don't know. Again, it's speculation. You've got to be fair to the player here. Um, but there's something has gone on there and there's kind of rumours coming out of the camp that all is not right. And that's pretty obvious that they haven't picked him. Yeah. They're saying it's a form. If you've Bundyaki in your squad and you're playing... You get him into form. <laughs> yeah, especially you that pick him. You play Newcastle him. away game. Like, yeah. You could easily put him in for that one. Yeah. Um, so it's not an ideal situation. And I, again, it's only speculation, rumours. Andy Friend says he won't be leaving, going anywhere else. He'll be playing with Connacht next year. But He's Andy Friend is leaving, contact. so he won't actually have that decision. Do you know? In, in many yeah, ways. but you know, if if Bundyaki wants to go to another province in Ireland, he's David Nusifora get becomes involved there. You can't just say I'm moving, moving to another province. But you can't force a move if you want to, though. Yeah, po- possibly, but, possibly. Know, but we haven't parry. heard. Again, <clears throat> there's something not right there. You know, from a Connacht point of view, um, Connacht fans would love if the, it's resolved and it's it's put to bed because. 
you know, he's a hero there and yeah. he's, he's been brilliant for them over the years. Of course, he's going to play a big part in the Six Nations, I think. Um, but we'll wait and see what the what Andy Farrell does on, on, on Saturday. See, in your head at the moment, McCluskey is probably in the most likely starter alongside Ringrose? I don't know, but I've been asking and you hear, you're hear you hearing things through other journalists and stuff. The question is, how how do we know that? Who said that? Because, you know, they've been in Portugal and in, <coughs> um, in camp and they haven't come out and said anything. And, yeah. You know, we're due a squad update this, today, which will give us some news yeah, on um, and look, potential injuries. Ronan Keller. Yeah, Ronan Keller, is, it's a shame if he's picked up an injury that will ruin him out. We don't have full clarity on that. Either Tom Stewart has been called up, deservedly so, because I think he's been brilliant for Ulster this year as a real prospect. He's still very young, but great, <coughs> a great prospect as well. So um, that would be a shame because with the Dan Shee and Ronan Kelleher scenario... You know, one of, one of them starting, one coming off the bench. It's it's they're they're phenomenal players, you know, and uh, so that's not ideal for them. But you know, there's going to be a few injuries throughout the Six Nations for each squad. Um, even though Ireland want to win the Six Nations, and it'd be brilliant if they did. Um, 2019 has shown us that you know, and with Wales coming up on Saturday with Warren Gatlin, the controversy going on in, 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 in the Welsh rugby rugby at the moment with the documentary that came out last week, um, this, the the CEO having to resign over the weekend. Um, it's a shit. Not having to resign, he resigned. Yeah. I think the, ultimately he probably, the pressure that was coming on there, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there that kind of, you think he'll get number one? They'll get a bounce off Warren, Warren Gatlin. Absolutely, um, all the Welsh fans you see him online talking about it. There's excitement there that Gatland uh, is is going to come back and do something. The Ospreys have been going very well. They've qualified for round sixteen, so there's a little bit of energy there, um, and nothing better than beat Ireland on Saturday, and you, you know the squad, the team he'll pick. Um, Five Woodward is predicting a Welsh win. To set the cat amongst the pigeons, <laughs> could easily uh, could easily be a Welsh win. Um, this this, if you look at the form in November with Georgia beating them and what happened to them last year, Six Nations, you think they've been in uh, gone through a dreadful run. But he'll get a squad and a team on Saturday that will will be really difficult for Ireland. So, um, and then it's a it's a very hard place to play. The crowd get behind them there in the Principality Stadium. It's Ireland haven't won a Six Nations game there since 2013, so um, it's it's difficult. It's a difficult start, and this this is really what I'm look, looking forward to about this Ireland team: how they can cope with the inevitable physicality, uh, psychological challenges, the, the stress and pressure that the opposition are going to put put on them. Um, it's a really tough start. You think? get the first one under the belt if they get any sort of a win and we and, and I kind of said the same thing two years ago and it was that match where Peter Romani got sent off um, went close in the end the Billy Burns kick into the corner from the penalty where it went dead there was a couple of opportunities there but Wales didn't care and they went on and uh, and won that game 2019 they're winning a Grand Slam you know they're flukiest one ever <laughs> Well, every game had time, every yeah. game had a weird thing which were anyway like look they they won it we didn't and that's what the record book shows there's no asterisk yeah and they go to they, uh, Wales go to Scotland the week after so 
you know, this is this is big, big pressure for them, and they will get an extra 10, 15, 20% out of themselves I because it, of all the pressure they're under. I thought it was interesting that Leinster went with the 6-2 split on the bench for the Racing game, which I hadn't seen from Leinster that often in the past. Is there any possibility that we start seeing this type of thing from uh, an Ireland perspective, where we prepare for the inevitable slugfest that's going to happen against South Africa? Um, we might look at that. It depends. Um, Can you get Ryan Baird on the bench as a... Yeah, he's the obvious one. I think if you have Jack Crowley, who can play centre, maybe play full-back. So it depends on your, 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 your sub-back, if you like. If they can play in a number of positions, it gives you the opportunity. Um, <coughs> Conor Murray can play in a couple of positions, maybe. If, if it happened that you needed two backs on the field and you had early injuries there... It's it's always it's always risky. Ryan Baird, you could put him on the wing. Um, absolutely, he, to, yeah. he pays. Um, Josh Van der Fleers has done it before. Um, it it depends against England and France. It's something that would it be the worst idea. I'd like to see them experiment with yeah. it in this environment rather than for the first time ever deciding. Okay, we need to do this against uh, South Africa in a World Cup or whoever. You know, yeah. just as, like. It was interesting that Leo Cullen did it. Now, maybe it was because of availability of certain players and unavailability of others. Um, you know, if, if Henshaw had been around, does suddenly they just take Osborne on the bench and away you go and everybody's happy. I don't know. But, um, like, what are we looking for from an Ireland perspective in this Six Nations? We're, we're favourites uh, with the bookmakers. I don't know if that's just because there's been a weight of money for, uh, for Ireland. But what do you want to see from the Ireland selectors to show that there's an evolution from last year when they played the best rugby that we've played in a long time? It's going to be difficult to hit those highs again. Um, uh, hopefully we saw a little bit of a dip in November and that they can reignite it a little bit again. Um, when you think of... You know, I think a lot of, a lot of the stuff... Um, with any team that's successful and you're winning and you're coming off the back of a very successful period, even though they didn't win the Six Nations last year, France are going to have to deal with this as well. And we've always questioned France's mentality and um, drive, desire. And when you think of what um, Galtier has done and Ibanez and Sean Edwards... All of those questions are gone, aren't they? They they are. And you think, because I think before last year they hadn't won a championship since 2010. You think of all the clubs, and someone said it to me recently, the amount of um, options that Galtier has to pick from every week with the top 14. And... Um, the league below as well. The amount of players that are there to be picked, um, and it was always about, going to be about organisation, getting the right players, attitude, fitness, all that kind of stuff. They've kind of got that stuff right. So they, they, they're, you would imagine if they can kick on and deal with, deal with winning in a positive way and get better and keep that hunger and desire, that they'll be a force for for many years if they get their house in order. Basically, yeah. which they, they seem to have done. Yeah. For Ireland, I think psychologically, this is. You know, the scars are probably 2019 of um, coming off a brilliant year and then going, you know, England finding chinks in the armour, physically overpowering Ireland. And that's always a concern, you know, the physical side of, of, and it's the same with Leinster, if you stop their flow, if you get in their faces, if you make it really um, physical, can you overpower them? Um, And it's the case with Ireland. So can Wales, Scotland, Italy do that? Well, they can make it a complete dogfight and a complete mess, and and Wales have done that before. With I, I think back to Navidi and Tipperick in that game, 
couple of years ago back in 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 in, in Cardiff where they won the Grand Slam and they you know beat Ireland twenty five seven I think it was they made it just complete nightmare for Ireland so they'll try and make it absolutely chaotic for Ireland it's dealing with that and I think game plan wise we're much better equipped i.e. Um, there's an ambition to the way they play the skill set and the comfort in where they pass and deal with pressure and going right back to New Zealand you know the, the incre- intense line speed Ireland f- were still able to pick holes and find spaces even off the off rooks and off malls little uh, micro plays that they and they do that very well so sometimes that can be difficult to, to defend but ultimately you know Ireland's scrum and line out um, set piece stuff is going to be really important in the Six Nations so I think they're better equipped this time um, they'll know what's coming and I think that will give them a little bit of edge and a bit of fight to, to counteract that um, there's no guarantees you know do you do you think that there's any selection issues to be decided or is, has the team kind of rounded into essentially picking itself at the moment like do we know the team now if everybody's fit Pretty much so, but I think somebody in the you look at the back row of of you know if you were to pick a back row now you're probably going Peter O'Mahony, Caelan Doris, Josh Van der Fleer. You mentioned him a minute ago. Ryan Baird could be a real bolter here, someone with incredible athleticism um, and back in form as well. Yeah, back in form, playing really well, um, hard to stop, constantly coming up with moments, getting the ball in his hand. Um, Jack Conan, um, you know, obviously will have a big say in that and he'll want to be... Also started the game against Racing with uh, Caelan Doris at six, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if that's Leinster going to the Ireland selectors here. By the way, this guy was the Lions number eight. You know, you need to pick yeah, him. Yeah, he's still a brilliant player. Yeah. Um, but by and large, the team is kind of picks itself. You think James Lowe, Hansen are probably the wingers, even though Jimmy O'Brien's form has been absolutely outstanding as well. Um Jamie Osborne could could really have an impact in the six nations. But by and large, it does pick itself. And it's probably where you want to be uh, if they hit a bit of a, if they, yeah, a brick wall <laughs> in the Six Nations, you're saying, oh God. What if they do the vast ma- yeah. Everybody loses four at the same time. <laughs> the vast majority of these players have gone on this kind of journey. But to be fair to Andy Farland, since the cycle, cycle of the last Six Nations, the, he's capped a lot of players. I think there is more depth and if you look at an Irish bench, which is really important, I think, now for, for this group, it's maybe 10, 12 players outside of the starting team. Is there competition there? Is there um, energy impact coming off the bench? And I think that's going to be really vital for him. But, you know, look, ultimately, um, we don't want to see what happened in 2019 because that was worrying, I think, and they couldn't find a way out of it. And sometimes that can be difficult. So I think in, in their preparations, not just in the last few weeks, but in the last year or two, it'll be how do we deal with the power and the physicality? Go back to France last year in the Six Nations when France got really physical and they scored a couple of power tries, if you like. Um, game was getting away for Ireland, from Ireland and they had the ability in that second half to really attack, hold on to possession and they caused France an awful lot of problems. Yeah and brought the game right back into a really close contest in the end and arguably you know they could have got more out of the game but they 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 really the reaction after New Zealand so they might have a they might have a poor performance here they might have um a day where 
Wales could be outstanding next Saturday and find a bit of spark. Um, I don't think that's the end of the world for Ireland, but I think if something like that happens, then I think they're good enough to react this time. Is there any concern whatsoever about the fact that Tyke Furlong has only played, what, half an hour off the bench against Ulster? Like he's had, I think he's tried every injury. He's had calf, the hamstring, the ankle, all since the November internationals. Lack of game time, but I guess he's been wrapped in cotton wool as well for the Six Nations, Quinny. Yeah, he's... Uh I'm contradicting myself here a little bit with the Bundyaki, although I'm not saying Bundyaki has to play. There's certain players can, if their conditioning is right off the field, there's, I have no issue with him. Mm. Tyg Furlong is such a good rugby player. He's so much experience. Um, you know, you need matches. You need contact. You need to be, you know, get that match sharpness up. But someone like Tyg Furlong is, because he probably, most of the way the modern game has gone, Shane, most of them only play 50, 55 minutes anyway mm. now. Um, so if we were to wrap him in cotton wool and Sexton in cotton wool till, to, until September, you know, would you think, oh God, is that, a, is that a real concern that they, they're not going to find form? Like, your biggest issue, biggest um, scenario with Furlong is, is his scrummaging. Mm. You know, he's not, obviously, if his conditioning is right, I think he, he'll know how to manage his body, stuff like that. So it's not a major concern for me that um, he wouldn't be playing too many games. Uh, we were uh, doing the Christmas decorations in my ma's house and I found the Irish Times from January the 3rd, 2015. And the headline was, Battle of the Outhaves, who'll replace Sexton? It's eight years ago. I know, it's such a long time, isn't it, really? And... Uh, it's it is what it is really. I think there's um you know, I think Jack Crowley is probably uh thankfully we've another person in the mix yeah. who who Crowley's who, due back sooner rather than later. Yeah, and you know, Harry Byrne Harry Byrne is still a very good player, he's still relatively young, hasn't had a big run of games, yeah. big involvements week after week. I think Jack Crowley has got a lot of involvements this year which has benefited him massively. He didn't get those involvements probably in the last, previous two years under Johan van Graan. He had certain moments, all right, in certain games. I think back to a game he played in cast about two years ago in the European Cup. A little bit jittery, a little bit standoffish, some moments in the game. But even the bad moments help you develop and grow as a player. And he's had a you know, tough start to the season with Munster. They Who, lost three Who's on the games. bench next week? Um... I, I'm leaning more towards starting uh, Ross Byrne, I think. Start Ross Byrne in the game. Um, no, so no if Sexton didn't start, right, Sexton's going to start. I'm um, sorry. If Sexton wasn't there, I'd start Ross Byrne. I'd put Jack Crowley on the bench. Right. Um, just to give you that little bit of, a little bit more of safer pair of hands in the sense that um, Crowley has that bit more of a spark and that ability to do something off the cuff. He's, he's still developing getting experience along the way um, but you know, you're starting Sexton if he's available and who's, uh, who's on the bench and I don't know if he is available He is he available oh, I just, we're all assuming he is we're yes. assuming he's available he's done the press conferences there's no bandage on the face anymore he was training in a mask at one stage we were told and I didn't see any photographs of that so it's hard to know they, they keep everything they keep their cards very close to their chest but it did look like he was going to be available yeah um, what do you think yeah, no. If that if that is the case, you know, I haven't. I, I have. We haven't heard anything different. Okay. And I think 
he if he's if he if Johnny Sexton starts. I don't know. I don't know. You're you're kind of blindsiding me a little bit with that one because I haven't thought about it much. I probably <laughs> you think if Sexton plays and you, there's two options here to th- think about this, and you've got to think a little bit. And it's a, is it unfair in Rossbourne? If you want to kind of if you're leading the game and you want to see out the game, is it Rossbourne? If you're chasing the game, it's Jack Jack Crowley a little bit. Um, yeah. So it depends what way they expect to be leading the game, right? Okay, if they're don't le- they? if they're le- they expect to, they expect to win this game, you know. Obviously, you but even look you I, scenario I mean, plan for everything. And, and Munster have made changes and and um, you know been been pretty good at you know backing the players that are there. It depends what way you know Mike Cass in particular sees what Joe, what Jack Crowley can do. Um, he he probably is that more bit more ability to run with the ball and have that bit of a spark. Is there a mistake or two in Jack Crowley when you handle the ball so many times in a game? Probably he's still learning. Um, so I don't know. I don't know who 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 sits on the bench. Um, Ross Byrne has obviously put himself in the equation with with playing really well. Yeah, uh, playing really well for Leinster. Um, and maybe most recent, like it was a surprise. So the answer to your question is, I don't know. I don't know either or. I think and. Whichever selection happens, so they'll tell us why. And you, it's something in training, it's yeah. the way they're looking or viewing at the game. But I don't have a big opinion on either either one of them should, should start there. Okay. There's nothing else really up for grabs if everybody is fit as we think they are at this stage? Not, not particularly, I don't think. I think it is a case of the bench. If Bundyaki is not involved at the weekend, well, mm. he's probably not in the 23, is he? No, he has. They have put him on the bench in the past. Yeah, they sometimes. have, and, and they did in New Zealand. So um, you're not going to six-two split if you're putting Bundy on the bench. But no, you're you're, you're not. You're picking your out half, scrum half, <laughs> and like if you're if you're chasing the game and you want someone to come on and be able to have some kind of physical, and that impact. could dictate which way the which who they pick as 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 on the bench for for out half. So. Maybe Jack Crowley going on the bench gives him the option of, of a back three player. He do, can play in the back three as well. Do the Netflix cameras have any impact? I saw Tyke Furlong being asked about it. Uh, I know they've been in the Algarve, Ireland, for warm weather training since since Thursday. Um, like he, he was kind of saying, I don't know how much intellectual property we'll give away in terms of team talks and that sort of thing, but it's definitely something the players will notice, cameras being, being there that mightn't have been there before in situations like team talks. Well, if we unravel again, it'll, it'll, well, yeah, be, it'll excuse, be something it? we'll be talking about. That uh, it was a distraction, and uh, you can go to town on a jerk. Oh no, no, no! Depends <laughs> on the result. Like, like the bus that time that uh, Joe Schmidt blamed in Scotland. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you, we've we've had this we chat yeah. a few times. Ulster travelling to sail. I'm telling you, as a player, it does make a difference. It shouldn't. To the outside, it does. You're the saying bu- the cameras would make a difference if you were. No, in the but the bus being late to Murrayfield would drive me demented as a player. It would actually right. unsettle me. Some guys, it, shouldn't, walk up, shouldn't the head coach be able to be in a position to go? Don't worry, Queenie, no, we've got you this. You can't go around to every player and go. You've 20 minutes to get changed or half an hour to get changed and be out on the field and play an international. No, <laughs> if you're standing at the top of the bus, going, what the hell's going on? Yeah, well, <laughs> Do you know what I mean. There's like a. It, anyway. does, it it's it's it gives it 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 happens sometimes. It affects different players differently. Anyway, but the Netflix cameras, I don't think, will make any difference. I think again, it's they're, they're with everybody, though, right? Yeah, it's yeah, true. It's, yeah, it's yeah. the way of the world. They're doing their own TV anyway, all Shane, the time, yeah. all the time, and yeah. their own stuff as, as a team. But 
Um, it's a big week for him now, I think, and it's right. a big, a big uh, mental kind of challenge for them. And if they started off well, they have a great chance because in, uh, with England and France coming to Dublin, it's uh, it's it sets it up for possible this a, success. This is our year, yeah. So your Grand Slam or bust? Grand Slam, World Cup, you name it. That's uh, nice one. good stuff. We'll uh, we'll know the team by the time Alan's with us on Friday. And we get the rest of the predictions about where everybody's going to finish. Uh, tied at 17 under a piece, Reed and McElroy. Neither of them burning it up just at the moment. Uh, Reed through 12, McElroy also through 12. So they're both on the 13th, obviously, at this stage. And uh, McElroy needed to save par. But the uh, 13th is a par 5, so uh, it could well be significant. 8.58, uh, Jenny Claffey is standing by to talk to us on the Australian Open finals. First, here's some Ryan O'Donoghue goodness after he kicked the equaliser in the dying seconds from Mayo against Galway, uh, speaking with Ashing O'Reilly after the draw. Ryan O'Donoghue, a draw against Galway. Will you take that result here in McHale Park? Yeah, I think we will look after after the game. It was would have been a sickening one to lose, I suppose. So at the end, thankfully, uh, I got a second chance at the, at the shot that I got previously. So I was just really delighted to, to get go between the posts and get a point on the board. Yeah, that shot was from distance, and as you said, you had one previously, so to have that confidence to, to go again, you know, in the dying minutes to level the game? Yeah, look, to be honest with you, in the first one, um, I put it wide, and then Matty just came up to me straight afterwards and just had a word in my ear and said, look, we'll trust you if they get that opportunity again, go for it. So um, it really shows the togetherness, and, and I knew in the back of my head then that the boys had trusted me, and to be honest with you, I'd kicked that probably nine times out of ten anyway, so I was pretty disappointed myself on the first one, and thankfully backed myself, and I was just delighted I went through the post, to be honest with you. And it's a massive rivalry with, with Galway, you know, you could feel it out there today, even just in the, up on the stand, so I don't know, it must have been like that for you on the pitch. Coming into this game, is there anticipation, nerves about it? Yeah, of course, look, any time you play someone in your, in your provincial uh, in, the, in your province it's going to be tough and especially with Galway we've had great battles with them over since I came in in 2020 we've played them every every Connacht Championship so um, yeah look uh, anytime you play Galway you want to beat them but it was nice to get out there in front of the crowd again first first big game in McHale Park for me since we play, since I played Galway last year in the Championship so I was delighted to get that, that out of the way and um, yeah the crowd were brilliant again tonight so it's good, good good start to the year And there's a freshness with a new management in what has Kevin McStay brought? Yeah, look, everyone is wanting to, to prove themselves and um, it's great, Kevin and, and Stephen and everyone in the backroom team. It's it brought, brought something new and great tactically and everyone's enjoying training and we're just champing at the bit at the moment now. So we into training Tuesday night and then we go up to our mass Sunday. So really looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Ashley. No bother. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, may our match should be a good game. It's uh, Ryan O'Donoghue speaking with Ashley O'Reilly after the draw at the weekend and we'll talk about that with uh, Anthony Moyes in just a little while. But first, Jenny Claffey is with us to talk tennis. Colin also here. Jenny, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, guys. How's it going? Uh, pretty much as we anticipated in the men's, a routine victory in the end for Djokovic with maybe one tiny glimmer for Tsitsipas. But, yeah, yeah, safe to say, uh, <laughs> yeah, Djokovic is still the dominant force in the men's side. No surprises there, really. He goes through the tournament only drops one set. Like, he's just the man to beat. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't close in any of the games really after the dropped set like there was never any sense he'd, he'd win the first set 6-1 or 6-2 or win the second set 6-1 and you'd be like okay okay why this is just why, why can nobody get close to him at the moment why are they all it seems beaten before they even go out 
Yeah, it seems that way. Just, I guess, the, the records he has, the how good he is, say, even just looking at the Australian Open, how good he is, his results have been there. And he's won his 10th Grand Slam there. It's kind of, our 10th Australian Open there. It's kind of hard to go up against someone who you know is in such form, who's so good at, on his, on his home slam, as we called the Australian Open for Djokovic. Um, it is a question about, for these guys, like, what do they need to do to beat him? You know, I'm even pulling my own hair out, wondering, like, what do these guys have to do? Like, Tsitsipas had a great tournament. He was looked really good throughout the two weeks in Australia. Comes into the final and he just looks like a mediocre player against him. You know, Djokovic just seems to have this level above the rest of the guys that he can seem to tap into when he needs to when the going gets tough. What about that 15-shot rally in the second set? Sitsipas had set point against Djokovic. Why, he was passive. Was he, was he waiting for Djokovic to make a mistake or was he just too afraid to level the match with Djokovic? It looked it in that second set. Like It looked like Tsitsipas definitely had a chance. Djokovic looked very rocky. Like You could see he was visibly very frustrated and getting annoyed at his, at his team and whatnot and, and didn't know what to do. And when, when Tsitsipas had that set point, he was passive. It looked passive. And you could see even in that moment, Djokovic was a little bit nervous as, as his behaviour was through that second set. But he was the one who stepped up and ripped this forehand winner to, to mm. hold to to win that point and then eventually hold so I mean in that moment Tsitsipas wasn't brave enough when he needed to be so I think Colm you gave us these stats about the number of uh, forehand errors that Tsitsipas yeah. 30 unforced forehand errors in the final is that um, is that why you're passive or is that why you look passive it's because every time you try not to be passive you're making a mistake or are you making those mistakes because you're too passive yeah well I mean going up against a guy like Djokovic you have to you have to take it to him so you've got to be aggressive Like, but he forces you to make mistakes so you look at that stat 30 on four stairs you think that's that's pretty bad it looks bad but I would say he was trying to be aggressive but Djokovic puts you under so much pressure that you end up making mistakes going for too much so like, it's kind of a misnomer to call them unforced in a way yeah yeah. Like uh, maybe know. force would be more fair <laughs> in that situation yeah, yeah. Um, like is that a psychological thing because we talk about this with um, Sabalenka is that a psychological aspect that he has or is that just the power and consistency that Djokovic has? Because so when you're in the middle of a game, right, and you're playing this and you realise that what you're doing is not working, yeah. how easy is it to kind of go, OK, well, I need to go for broke here? Well, you go out against a player, like, you know, you shape your game about how you want to play initially. So every player has a plan A and a plan B. So you've got to be able to try to adapt in the moment. But like against Djokovic, you could throw the kitchen sink at him and it still doesn't seem to hurt him or have any effect on him so you know the different players who come up against him play different styles but it's still never enough to beat him whereas like Tsitsipas came out yesterday all guns blazing trying to play an aggressive game took it to him but just wasn't anywhere near him at the races yesterday but like Tsitsipas' strongest shot is his forehand and Tim Hedman kept on saying in commentary yesterday in Eurosport if this is against any other player Tsitsipas would make that shot he'd make this shot like Djokovic sometimes doesn't have to play it's all on the head of these players, and especially mm. like the Sitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev team, that generation, those four, like seriously talented players, but they have this inferiority complex against Djokovic and Nadal. Isn't it up to Carlos Alcaraz <laughs> now to change everything? Yeah, I think like if we were looking at those four you just mentioned there in a different era, we would these would be decorated stars of the game, but just because mm. Djokovic and Nadal are still around, they're just not they're not, you know, they're not quite getting that that fame that they they deserve. I mean, they're unbelievable tennis players. Like Sitsipas, his forehand, as I said, she's out the two weeks of the Australian Open, he was on fire yeah. with that. He comes up against Djokovic, and Djokovic is better better than him on all accounts, forehand, backhand serve, everything. essay. and that's not even Djokovic's weapon, his forehand. Well, you famously said on these very airways <laughs> that Djokovic would make thirty Grand Slams. You said it 
what about a year and a half ago? Yeah. He's on yeah. 22. Nick Kyrgios joined you in the prediction. He said 28 yesterday on Twitter afterwards. What's he going to end on? He's definitely going to end up over 25, 25 to 30. I mean, if he if he can stay injury-free over the next two to three years, I think he can keep up this level. Um, I think he's going to win. Yeah, he's definitely going to win the that's, next five. That's what Ivanisevic's coach said after the match. He said he could go for another two or three years. Yeah. So like you'd expect if he keeps winning at this rate, that he will, he will reach that quite comfortably. Like he, he seems to love adversity. The whole injury stuff at the start of the tournament, you're like... I mean, was he using this as a as a mechanism to kick himself on? Yeah. Obviously, don't know how injured or otherwise he was, but uh, it seems to have worked for him either way. Yeah, well, like, I think adversity fuels Djokovic's fire. It just seems to work for him in a way that he can channel it into winning. And, and we can see it time and time again. He is not the fan favorite, but he seems to just be able to channel that into putting it onto the onto the match court and getting the results. What was it about yesterday? He seemed to be having a go at Goran Ivanisevic, his coach. Well, in the middle of the match yeah, what, what's that about yeah, what, 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 does he, he seems to pick fights sometimes I think he was just looking for something yesterday in that second set like <laughs> things weren't going his way and he said afterwards he was he was looking at Djokovic you could see them eye, he was eyeballing them the whole way from the baseline to the, the sit down and he was saying that he was looking for help he didn't know what to do in that yeah. moment this is new though right this is the first tournament where the coaches have been allowed to coach during the tournament yeah yeah, but even Izovic wasn't even responding to him. He wasn't helping him really that much, but he was just trying. You could see he's a very emotional player and was in his day, but he was trying to stay very calm, but it was written all over his face. What, like what sort of coaching can actually help a tennis player in the middle of a match? Like at that stage, what, what, like, is it just minor things, addressing, swing? Like... I- the technical details of it what can they actually say to help them yeah but it's going to be nothing more than you were told in your pre-match before you go out on the court like you know you're playing your tactics against how this other player plays you're going to obviously know what they're doing what Mm. their weaknesses are etc but the coach is watching from the sideline seeing what the other player is doing you can't see that when you're on the on the court as such maybe um, but it would be small things like you know serve your tea, your serve down the tee or use more to play more to his backhand or you know just those small things it's almost like those reassurances you need um, and then just like those few positive reinforcements that, that it's a funny dynamic though because the opponent can hear the, the advice too <laughs> so it's like well go to his backhand and the opponent can clearly hear it as well Fair. not in Serbian anyway well but yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Patrick Reed is in the lead at uh, 18 under par. He's had a tap in birdie after a brilliant chip on the par five. McElroy is on the fairway watching that happen. Let's talk about Sabalenka because the psychology of the game is is really interesting. In, in her, um, Colin's been talking about she had the yips last year at serving. She served underhanded. Uh, and then all of a sudden she's the best server in the tournament and wins on the back of a really powerful serve. Yeah, there's a lot to that. Uh, last year, she she had a dreadful year serving the worst. Like I think she had she had 400 double faults last year over the course of the year, which is like a hundred more than the person next to her. Um, and she also hired a biomechanist to have a look at her serve, which is the first we've ever heard of in tennis. Like normally you get your coach to do that, but she actually hired help from outside. And I think whether that was psycho- psychological or Technical, it's worked for her, and she seems to have turned it around. And yeah, she served amazingly throughout the the two weeks, and since the, kind of the latter end of last season, she's turned her game around, and she's much calmer now and playing with a lot more confidence and assurance in her game. What was the whole Pam Shriver having a row with the coach? And Pam Shriver was um, on Twitter going, "I hope that she finds a coach who uh, treats her better as a whole human being." Is her coach particularly vocal? Sabalenka yeah. um, I think last year she was looking to fire him at some stage so I don't know you know like at this high level there's such high stakes you know emotions run high all the time I'm sure that like th- there's love-hate relationships going on all the time but no I think he, he's been with her for a few years now and, and this meant as much to him as it did to her I think How do you 
how do you change that psychology around the serving, let's say, so the Yips last year over 400 unforced errors, but she had 17 aces in this final. Like, so she obviously has a talent, but how, how do you go about changing that mentality from your own experience as well? Yeah, from, I guess, like, when you have the yips on, I remember... Have you ever, uh, did you ever have the yips? Well, on my backhand, I certainly had the, the yips, like, more so that's the toss on the serve, but on my backhand, I remember playing, um, winning my first international tournament, and I couldn't hit a double-handed backhand. I sliced the whole time, because I just had convinced myself I couldn't hit a two-hander, and then came back from winning that. So, won my first international tour- title, you'd think you'd be high as anything. That whole week after in training, I hit my double-handed backhand into the back fence for a week. And then it like settled down mentally, just like calmed down and, you know, went back to basics and was able to figure out, okay, look, there's nothing wrong with that. I can do this. Trust yourself. And it seems that Sablanka has kind of gone through that process. Obviously, she's had the biomechanism in last year mm. helping with her serve. But she's she even says herself, she's now trusting her game. She believes in herself a little bit more. And she's now in those tight moments, able to calm herself down and, and obviously work through those moments of nerves. I was reading as well that she spent a lot of time in between games in the gym to kind of take her mind off the tournament if nothing else obviously to help her physic- physicality as well but that that sort of thing is crucial as well that people forget how much downtime these players have and how they spend that downtime in the middle of a tournament is is fairly imperative. Yeah and especially for Sabalenka who's been to this stage you know of, of the Grand Slams before she's been in three semi-finals before and had three tough semi-final losses like and two of those you could put down to her mentality she wasn't there she she got nervous her serve let her down in those tight moments so yeah those latter ends of the tournament when there's not that many players around there's not that buzz there you need to do things to keep yourself occupied and keep your mind busy and she seemed to have done that very well this time. We kind of uh, expected Schwantek to be the dominant figure in women's tennis, but maybe we're wrong. There's not going to be a dominant figure. There's going to be loads of players who come and have a a, a 12, 14, 18-month period who win during that period where they're kind of uh, cresting to a peak. And that's what's going to happen over the next couple of years until somebody does emerge who is like the new global superstar. Well, I think we were all talking about Shantek and Shantek does have that talent to be the number one and we definitely can't count her out yet just with a few bad tournaments, especially when coming into the clay season now, I think she'll prove her dominance there. Um, I, if if Sabalenka can keep up this level that she has been showing the last month or two, she will be a dominant force, but it's whether she can keep that up, you know, when it comes to the bigger, the big tournaments like the Grand Slams, can she maintain that level? But at this level, she's scary good, like but as we've seen in previous years, she hasn't been able to maintain the level we've been talking about her but she would have peaks and troughs and obviously she was a bit of the mental she would have a few mental wobbles but she seems much stronger now but if she can keep that game I think she'll be a a force to recognise Is Sabalenka the most naturally gifted player on the tour? I think her and Rybikina are up there with that like they have this raw power like look at the two of them they don't okay they're six foot tall but they don't look necessarily as strong as let's say Williams and they play very much like Williams but they have this raw power that there seem to be able to generate which is something not all the players have that they have to work on that a lot um, Using a biomechanist would suggest it's not natural either that it's like uh, this is fully worked on that there's like a you know the, she, mm. the, it's, not, it's not pure talent it's science as well Yeah but she, she always had raw talent though didn't she? She did have yes yeah, she did yeah. she's, like we were talking about in 2019 that she was yeah. going to be somebody who'd be very good and then obviously the mental side plays a part in that but talent you know within that what just what defines talent you know is is power talent because she has that but as she got the finesse and the touch and all the other like you look at Lonsa Jabour she's got talent in abundance in terms of she can do anything she can play with power she can play with slice she can play with spin she's probably got much more variety in her game whereas Sabalenka has that kind of raw power talent definitely so that's debatable um, you brought this racket in for our video 
watchers today. Yeah. Can you tell us the difference, right? This is a question from Shane, I think. What's the difference between a club racket and a professional racket in terms of weight? So it depends, I guess, on the racket. Um, sorry, on the player. Do you mean club? Like you, you know, you, you, like a racket I buy in one of the sports shops down yeah. down the street today. Is that the same as a, a racket a professional would use? You could buy, yeah, you could buy the same one that the, the professionals are using. Yeah, same level, yeah. right? Yes, yeah, so you just go in there and tell them what you're looking for. But generally, the the guys is a shop actually in William Tennis Club. They're the best in the business in Ireland for ta- for tennis rackets. They'll know exactly if you tell them how often you're playing, uh, what like how you kind of play, what game style you hit power, you hit spin, um, and then they'll gauge male, female, what weight of a racket they'd give you. Most of the players are using heavier rackets than the the club level player. Um, and you'll like they'll they'll have different names. So like this is called the the head radical mm-hmm. light. So that would probably be more so for a club player. And then the the pros would have either radical pro or radical MP, which is just a different weight. Um, but yeah, you can go walk into the, off the street and buy a, one of the rackets that Andy Murray or Djokovic or, or Sablank are using. Could you win a Grand Slam with this racket? Yeah, I would have, yeah, if it wasn't for an injury. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have played county. Yeah. That, that's a radical light, you play with the light. This is the light, yeah. I've been using that after an injury because right. of uh, the elbow. I wasn't able to use the heavier racket. Okay, so this is the one where's the weight distributed? So again, it depends on the racket. So normally you can test if you like a lot of. That's very light, though, isn't it? Called it's very light. light. Yeah. So you can see strong. there if you if you yeah. weigh it up, the head the head is slightly heavier. Some of the other rackets, if they will sit like that, obviously doesn't. But some of them will sit like that, which means it's evenly distributed. But there, it's it's head heavier. This is a stupid question. Like, there's no way you know, you're in cricket and rugby balls getting tampered with, and even in hurling as well. Like, there's no way to make that racket better for yourself. Like, there's no there's nothing you can put in your hands to get better grip or. Or tighten the strings ever so. Well, you can. There, there's always little things you can toy with. Like you can put little weights around. Like they have these little lead tape that you can put around to make the racket a little bit heavier if you want it to be head heavier. Because then your follow through, obviously, you have to drag a bit more through or accelerate a little bit more through, and that'll give you a bit more punch on it. And um, you can, yeah, the, the strings is a big thing. Like there's so many different types of strings available to to the players, um, and depending on the heat, depending on the balls, that all that will all affect the tension of the strings that they're using. And, and that's the all legal, though. You can do you can do yeah, what you want. All yeah. of that, yeah, allowed, yeah. Yeah. Right, just don't put a hole in the middle of your racket. That's the key to it. Well, just make sure you hit in the middle of the racket every time the sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's mad. I didn't realise you could go in. There's not, there's not many sports you can go in and buy the exact. You know, like yeah. Murray could have that racket. Yeah. You know, I, I always thought there was this magic racket that all the pros had. But then they smashed them up so often, you're like, well, they must, they must have loads of them. Yeah, they, they, well, they do. Like you carry, they carry between six and twelve rackets in their right. bags. Yeah, all with kind of well, some of the same and some with different tensions depending on like if they start off in the daytime and then ends up in the nighttime, they'll have different tensions in the strings and okay. and that's why you see them changing their rackets. When ever notice when the new balls, mm. they change the rackets, so that's changing the tension in the strings then to suit the faster ball. All right, Jenny, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Thank you, guys. It's uh, nine sixteen, just gone nine seventeen. Roy McIlroy just had a tap in birdie having just come up short with an eagle putt. They're both on 18 under par, Reid and McElroy through 13. Patrick Reid is on the 14th and he's playing really great golf at the moment, Patrick Reid. But he has become the hunted because he's uh, come from three strokes back to lead by one and then Rory McIlroy has just tied it again. So we'll see if the pressure gets to Reid. So far, there's been no sign of it. Uh, Anthony Moyes is standing by. We're going to talk to him in just a moment. Uh, here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. At one o'clock, OTB Gold is Paul McGrath. Splunk at three, State of the Union is Rugby at four and OTB Gold is Jack McCaffrey, uh, one of his retirement interviews, but he's back now, obviously. Uh, up next, as I said, Anthony Moyles reflecting on the weekend, but here is Jack O'Connor talking to Ashling after Kerry's defeat to Donegal. Jack O'Connor, how are you feeling after that game? A one-point loss to Donegal here in Valley Buffet. 
Ah, disappointed, you know. It's uh, you always want to get on the board early and get some points on the board. So disappointing going home now, a long old journey. So um, we lick our wounds and, and, and dust us down and go again next weekend. Yeah, there was one point in particular that was quite controversial at the start. It was waved wide, then it was given. What was your view on it? Uh, well, it was wide, like, you know. Everybody, I don't know how many thousand people were, were here today, but I'd say, I'd say every one of them thought it was wide except the umpire. But anyway, so look, that's, that's what happens when, you, when you're, you know, in a way of grounds, you don't tend to get breaks. Did you say anything to any of the, ah, the sure. sideline? What's, what's the point? There isn't much point. The linesman beside me said it was wide, but sure, look, anyway, mm-hmm. let's not, let's not uh, dwell on it. Look, Donegal put up a good fight there in the second half and came strong and fair juice and make great to kick the good score to win it. Yeah, it's not easy to come to Bally Buffet, especially without probably some of your key players. Look, we, we, you know, I don't even want to dwell on that. We have what players we have at the moment and they're... they're they're putting in a great shift and, 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 and they fought hard here today but just fell a bit short so uh, we have an opportunity at home next weekend to try and get points on the board and that's what we'll be focusing on now Yeah, disappointing but it is a chance to see new players to give them a chance at this level as well Well it is but you don't want to get into the habit of losing games now it's a bad habit to get into and uh, certainly not one that we want to get into And just on the club championship obviously it was very successful for Kerry um, in the All-Ireland series three clubs doing very well so it's been a while until you'll get those players back fully yeah look we'll take it case by case I mean uh, Paul Murphy played with us today yeah. uh, but he had got a break you know back before Christmas there so um, Paul played and played well kicked two scores for us and um, it'll be in a few more weeks before we have the rest of them back do you find that important as a manager to give them the time you know for the likes of the, the Ratmore lads well, for the Fossa lads it is because uh, you know it'll come back to bite you later on uh, if you don't, if they don't get some kind of a break, you know, they're not robots. So, um, yeah, we'll be playing that on a case-by-case basis. OTB AM. Right, the league is back. Massive crowds all around the country for the return of the Allianz Football League. The Hurling League gets underway at the uh, next weekend. Um, Anthony Moyles is with us to look back on uh, yeah, some fairly interesting storylines. We may as well start. We heard Jack O'Connor a little bit upset about the fact that maybe one of the points that Donegal scored was actually wide but um, I don't know I mean I think uh, the real story coming out of that game is that Donegal have an entirely new management team and a bunch of kids and they were bloody good Yeah they were uh, Ger. Uh good to be back good to be back the league is back good to be back on uh, bright and early uh, yeah I don't know I I, I, I it's it's amazing. It's a new look, Donny Gall. It's a new look, Paddy Carr. He was uh, he was sporting a fairly groovy looking hairdo yesterday. Um, he Paddy's getting bit by the wild Atlantic way, it seems. Um, but yeah, he settled in nicely. Um, and they've unearthed a couple of good lads. The new lad, Caelan McColgan, I thought was fantastic. He kicked a couple of scores, raided up and down the half back line. Um, you know, in the modern era, as we know, if a team sits in, you need it. You need half backs and indeed cornerbacks, but certainly half backs who were able to come up and kick scores from range. Uh, and he was able to do that. He was able to add pace at vital times. Um, but you know, it was a game probably 
that Donegal would have said, look, we're going to try and catch Kerry, uh, you know, here, you know, they have to come all the way up to us. They have a lot of players missing. They have a lot of players who are in club duty who'll be, who'll be taking a bit of a break. Um, and they would have earmarked this to probably, I'm sure, get two scores. Now, it didn't look likely at all uh, during it, especially with the, with the gift of the goal they gave them. Um, but I thought they were the better team, to be honest with you. And, you know, it, for young lads to get that win, you actually heard McColgan with an interview after it. You know, it was a kind of a rallying call, a bit, bit early maybe, but maybe he's shown his his, his vibrancy and his, his, his youth. But he was kind of saying, you know, it was vital that we set down a marker here. Um, and it probably was, you know, for Paddy Carr and the new look management team that they come out and that they give the supporters something to shout about and a bit of, a bit of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, let's say, hope after the Michael Murphy era. Bit of, bit of bite out of um, Paddy McBrady in, in an interview as well afterwards, Anthony. Like, I think he was asked, or someone, the reporter said to him, oh, a bit of a shock result. And he said, well, to who? Not to us. Um, and, and look, he came up clutch, as he always does. As he said, that this Donegal team, I was watching them in the McKenna Cup and I, I was concerned a bit for Donegal. They didn't look great. But then, of course, that mix of youth and experience is what they have. And I think that was McBrady's first point of the day. So he came up when the moment needed him. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I watched him last year. I thought he was a little bit out of condition last year. He was probably struggling with injury. Um, I know he has been struggling with injury probably for the last year and a half, two years. And But he's looking as conditioned as I've seen him now in the last two or three seasons. So he's obviously putting the work in. I thought he was actually well shackled during the game. They found it difficult, Donegal. It's amazing. Uh, the way they, they were able to use Murphy, obviously, over the last number of years, you know, they'd pull him out to midfield when required and then they'd have him as the focal point in at full forward. And there was always that out ball especially when teams didn't crowd in in front of them. Um, they didn't really have that yesterday. If you look, a lot of stuff went through the hands, a lot of stuff went through the lines. There wasn't really the quick ball in, and they found it difficult to hit McBurty. McBurty has always been a corner forward, so even when he has to go into full forward, there's different runs required. So if you actually watch, a lot of balls that went into him went into him kind of into the corner, and he had to go out and get them and kind of recycle them around. Um, now, he doesn't mind doing that because when he comes around on that loop, he'll recycle it and then he'll look for the return. And, of course, that worked like a treat. We've seen him kick those scores for umpteen years uh, and talk about a time to come up with it, like an unbelievable strike in you know pretty soggy conditions at 70-something minutes on the clock. Legs are tired. You've to putting in a shift, uh, and he comes and he sticks that over the bar. So fantastic leadership from him um, as captain um, and a great way to win the game. Yeah, and it's not really a disaster for Kerry if they have a slight grudge heading back down the road, some, a grievance to nurse over the rest of the week. They've got Monaghan in town uh, in Kerry next week, and like... For all Jack's saying, oh, the players that we have are the ones that matter at the moment. That's not the case. Like um, you know, whatever no. the league, whatever happens in the league for Kerry is completely irrelevant. If they uncover, if a Cumber gets a few more games and bedded into the team, and it's somebody who might be important for them in the championship, like Kerry, we know are a known known at this point, and uh, it's up to everybody else to try and, and shoot them down. Yeah, and where it's important, Jer, for them is the likes of Paul Murphy yesterday. You know, it, it, this is an important league for the likes of him who has been on the team, uh, has been very important to the team, then found himself kind of on the periphery last year. Spillane as well, a guy who's kind of been in and out. Um, Jack Barry, an important league maybe that he just solidifies midfield, especially with Moran retiring. 
there's, there's a couple of subplots, I think, with Kerry and a couple of sub-stories going on with them. Um, but they, like, I mean, do they have to one air it forward? No, <laughs> is the answer. You know, they're not, they're not in that camp. Um, do they have to one air it a couple of backs? They're pretty tidy still. Like, I mean, we know, you know, Morley does his job. Um, they have, you know, great full back line. They still have the power and pace of the half forward line or half back line with White, etc. And um, so, you know, they're not they're not in any kind of a, even way. You'd say, Jesus, they have to get one or two players. It would be nice for them, I would say, to see can they bring Brosnan along? Can they bring one or two forwards? So, if anything ever happened to Clifford or indeed Paddy Clifford um, or indeed Gainey, that they you know that they can push. So, for example, Spillane isn't an important league for him to kind of really start to cement a place. And kind of nearly have it in a situation that when Clifford comes back, Clifford's really battling with him to try and you know wrestle back a corner forward or a full forward spot. So they need these lads not to kind of sit back. It, it's it's a it's a strange one. The mentality can't be ah when we get these lads back we'll be all right. It can't it can't be that way. They, and 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 you're right. This will now give the lads a good kick up the rear end this week. You can hear you can already know what they're saying this week for for for, for training. You know that lads, that's one loss. If we lose another one, all of a sudden we're zero out of four, and we're staring down the barrel of a gun coming into the in, 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 down to Division Two. So you can imagine they'll be up in the ante this week. The rhetoric around, you know, to forget the rest of the lads. You set your stamp on this team. You know, you hold on to the jersey. All that stuff will come in, um, and it is it is important that they do that because you know when you look at the successful Dublin teams of of the, of, of obviously the, the domination that they had. They, they treated that league very, very importantly, you know, and they said they didn't just kind of say, ah, oh, when we get this lad back and that lad back, we'll be all right for the championship. They went out and they generally got, you know, to the latter stages of those leagues. And, and, and the fellas who came through, who may have been on the panel for a year or two, cemented their position going into the championship. That's the point I think you made, Ger, uncovering new players. Dara Roach at full forward for Kerry yesterday. I have to say I was fairly unfamiliar with him before yesterday. Kicked three lovely points. Um, kicked a winning point I think a couple of weeks ago in the McGrath Cup against Clare in the last minute I made headlines last summer he scored 3-9 in a club game for Glenflesk uh, against Brosna like, this is a guy kind of coming in under the radar Anthony but that's the exact type of player that Kerry need to uncover especially when they have so many injuries Yeah you know and, and, and I think Shane gives them something different as well in the sense of he's not he's not sure he's, he's, he's a strong full forward type, mm. you know, well able to take hits, but he can shift as well. Like he got a ball there yesterday, if you remember for one of his scores coming across on his left, mm. he had a bit to do. He had three Donegal men around him and he managed to get away from them with speed and, and they were they were right on him um, and he held up to the tackles. Most lads would have probably maybe gone down there and he could have won a free, but he held strong and he stuck, stuck the ball over the bar. Um, I do think he gives them that, you know, look, again, They'll possibly need a foil uh, slightly for Clifford um, because every team, you know, in, in the rest of the country will think, OK, how do we stop him? How do we put players around him? So if all of a sudden you can say, well, actually, we can stick him out the corner forward or we can put him out at 11 mm. um, and we can we can, you know, we can put him as a, as a 15 and just bring him out around the half forward line. That completely messes your plan up. Now, if they have a full forward such as him who's able to win ball and win dirty ball. Um, he strikes me as that type of a player, but who can also kick scores. That's going to be a big bonus for them. Uh, we, we, we've buried the lead again. Uh, Jim mm. McGuinness is back in the backroom team of uh, the down footballers, apparently, according to a Stevie Poacher tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. He came in. I think allegedly he did a training session or two last week. Um, 
Yeah, now they're saying that he's not part of it, but he obviously is part of it. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with you know man or you know these guys coming in and just doing one training session or two training sessions a month or something like this. I just think it actually can unsettle things more than anything. Maybe not this time of the year, but certainly as it gets closer to to the to the to the to the, to the you know the kind of championship end of things. Um, yeah, it's a strange one, uh, you know, but I think, you know, it's a young management team up there um, and they're obviously just trying to kind of unearth a couple of things and bring in a bit of experience where they can. So, yeah, you know, there's, I don't think there's a whole pile wrong with it. Yeah, and who do you don't have in the first game in Ulster Championship? Is it Donegal? I think it is Donegal. I mean, the narratives, the, the stories write themselves, Anthony. Yeah, well, you know, I was amazed. I didn't see, I wasn't keeping an eye on the golf. And, you know, you, you talk about just... You know the, the the stars align sometimes, you know, and that's that's just happens. And and you know, does McGuinness go in there and all of a sudden plot? Um, yeah, you can see it happening. And uh, I got a nice bit of spice to that championship game. I had heard that McGuinness could have been part of the backroom team if Rory Cavanagh ended up getting the gig. And obviously, Rory was very close to getting it, and mm. then that didn't happen. And all of a sudden, uh, Car ends up getting it uh, after a, a protracted process. So, look, mm. you know, it's um, as you say, sometimes the stars align. Uh, the so we talked um, Donegal Kerry Mayo and Galway. Um, again, look, it's very early in the season, but Mayo showed character to come back. Uh, they also showed that they have some forwards who are willing to. Um, take risks and sometimes uh, no risk it no biscuit and sometimes you uh, score the goal of the season in the opening uh, round of league fixtures so I think both teams will be relatively happy with a tough hard fought game and you end up with a draw Absolutely you know 14 and a half or 13 and a half thousand or whatever it was in McHale Park great atmosphere you know Saturday night game who cares about the conditions when you have that kind of vociferous atmosphere, loads of people, local rivals, you know, all that usual stuff. Um, and just great. You could you could feel the excitement. You could feel the tension. You could feel, you know, the 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 the, the intensity from the TV. It was bouncing out at you. Um, Galway be happy. I think Mayo will be happy enough as well. I don't see any massive change to the Mayo setup. I don't see any massive kind of alteration. Uh, yes, new individuals, but then again, you know, he finishes with an awful lot of the same old faces, I suppose. Um, did anyone really jump out at me that would say, wow, that guy is going to be a, a, a big player for them come the championship? Maybe a bit early to say, O'Donoghue was excellent. Um, I thought he's a guy who, you know, sometimes I look at him, I've probably been a little bit critical of him a couple of times last year, but then... You know, there's been a few times where he has really led the line. Uh, I can't remember what game it was last year. It could have been a Tyrone game where he led the line and he literally got beaten up for about 70 minutes, but he kept coming back and kept coming back for it. Um, And I thought yesterday, if you watch it, obviously... He misses one, not too dissimilar to the one he gets, literally about two or three minutes beforehand. He, he just It just doesn't come in for him enough on, on, the, on the right-hand post. And you're kind of thinking when he gets the opportunity, you're thinking, is he going to slip it? You know, will he back himself again? And, you know, that's what great forwards do. They do. They, 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 they back themselves every time, and he, and he absolutely nails it. Um, but he had played well during the game, um, and, you know, he led the line for them, and that's what they need. Because I think they're a little bit rudderless, in, in in that kind of, you know, O'Connor is obviously gone. They have Carr now. They're trying to try him, obviously, in full forward. Strong, physical, fast. Um, obviously, he can kick a, kick, can kick a score. Um, but, they, they you know, they're, they're probably just trying to find a way of, are we a big man full forward line team? 
um, I'm, I'm putting the odd big ball in and long ball, or are we still trying to work it through the hands like we used to? I didn't see any of that real kind of massive pace and massive kind of, you know, abandonment that used to go on with, 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 with Keegan and say Oshin Mullen, where they would just go and go past players and look to get on the end of things. I think there was a little bit more shackles on the defence, but, uh, but that's fine. Listen, they're a team, I suppose, in transition and McStay and Mikhail and, 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 and Rochford have to find their way with them. But, you know, again, there's, there's loads of passion still down there uh, and loads of ability and uh, both teams will be happy, I think, with the result. When you talk about passion, I don't think any county loves their football as much as Roscommon fans. We get so amount of hate in the comments when we don't give Roscommon their due credit. Uh, <laughs> Davy Burke was in the, in the studio with us a few months ago. I was very impressed by him. Like he, he oozes enthusiasm. That's one thing I'll say about Davy Burke. And, and they had that five-point lead at halftime yesterday against Tyrone. Tyrone whipped it around and ended up leading it th- by three points at some stage in the second half. They've been a yo-yo team, Anthony, in the Division 1 and back down to 2 and back up. So a bit of stability, I guess, is what they need under Davy Burke. And they were impressive yesterday. Yeah, he'll, br- he'll bring that. Uh, I think he will bring what you just said there, enthusiasm. Um, I think he will bring a, a purpose to them. Um, he'll bring order. He'll bring, a, you know, an awful lot of... Um, I think and he, he's also quite an innov- innovative manager. Um, so... You know, he'll change things around a bit without having to rip up the script. We all know that Roscommon have good forwards, okay? So they have guys who can take points. The problem has been what they what they ship on the far end, um, and they need to tighten that up. Uh, their midfield has been – it's young, um, and it's, it's getting there, but it needs to probably be a bit more kind of defensive thinking rather than forward thinking. Um, it's it's interesting. You see, again, going back to the situation I was just mentioning about the halfbacks kicking points daily, coming up and kicking three, mm. uh, I think two or three, um, absolute great scores from 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 halfback. Um, they need that as well. They need fellas to be able to chip in. But that that's a great result for them, and that that'll give them massive, massive, massive confidence going in. Like I mean, the, the first day out, you know, I was kind of with a wry smile I was reading all the comments I was thinking is this just media hype uh, excuse the excuse the, the dig lads not at you necessarily but I was saying to myself you know everyone was saying oh this is a big match it's a big game for me it's a big game for Claire it's a big game for it was a big game for everyone and you're kind of saying well it's the first game in the league is it really a big game but it is because it's no longer you know the league is no longer like when you come back a good half a stone overweight and you kind of you know kind of winter well and then you kind of ease yourself back into it and around you know, game six of the league, you're saying, right now I'm actually kind of back at the pitch of it and I'm getting ready for championship. The league is literally day one, bang, go. Um, and there's no more messing around. It's 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 flat out. Yeah, well, it's been our best competition in Gaelic football, like bar the All-Ireland series from really the semi-finals on uh, for the last 15 years. You, you would definitely say, and now all of a sudden, because they managed to make a complete hornix of the fucking championship, Division 2 might be the greatest sports competition on earth over the next month like it's like the uh, March Madness because some teams are going to have their entire season blown up and end up in the Talton Cup and uh, some teams are going to slingshot themselves into a position where they could be all Ireland quarter-finalists or semi-finalists or even the, the winner of the entire championship might have been on view in Croker on Saturday I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not writing clear off just yet. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But Division 2, as you say, Division 2 is now ruthless. It is literally, you know, so, so you know, the emphasis on the importance of the games is, especially for Division 2, is, is enormous. Um, and you're right. You have to get a good start. 
you you really you know the you can, you can paint narratives whatever way you want with Kerry with Dublin you know ah Dublin were only feeling their way into it even with Kildare I'd say Kildare Jer I'd say you know I'd say Glenn Ryan and the team would have would have focused on this game and said here is a game we we want to get something out of um, you know Dublin last couple of years have started slowly relatively slowly in the league. Um, brought a lot of Lou fellas in and they probably should have said to themselves look here is an opportunity where we can go and take two points off Dublin in Crow Park um, and, and get ourselves propelled forward and you could see the disappointment in Glen after the game you know you really could it was palpable that you know you could see you know terrible start and um, he was delighted obviously that you know it didn't kind of run away from them Um but you know I, I noticed over the week I, I, I don't think and maybe this is a prediction that will come back to bite me but the conditioning of teams, especially the biggest teams, and actually all of the teams, to be fair, but especially the top 10 or 12 teams, the conditioning, where that gap was a number of years ago between the top four or five, and then let's say that next five or six also runs. And I would include Mead in that, you know, Kildare in that, Roscommon maybe. That that has now massively reduced. I looked at a number of the Mead fellas who I would know obviously fairly well, and the conditioning of them, and the, and the strength and the, how they look. Uh, and I could even see it in the Kildare team. The condition of Kildare, if you always remember, of course you remember, Dublin would just blow you out of daylights in that last 15 minutes. Or they could they could nearly stick it into sixth gear for 10 minutes, even in the league, and then drop it back and go again and drop it back. I'm, I'm not really seeing that anymore. Teams are so well conditioned now that they're able to stick with the, with the top teams. They may not win the games, but they're able to stick that bit bit more, um, and it's not true a fault of conditioning or fitness or, or, or strength or agility. It may be a fault of football that gets you in the end. But um, though, I think the gap has, has tightened on those things. Yeah, for sure. Look, we're out of time, Anthony. Great to have you back. The league is back. Mm-hmm. We're all back. Uh, Mead winners, Monaghan losers, Kildare losers. Sure, look, buzzing still though. There you go. It's back. All right. Good stuff, Anthony. Thanks, million for that. It's Good nine night. nine. Cheers. 9.40 this morning uh, McElroy 18 under Reed 18 under they're both uh, Reed's just through the 15th he must have parred that McElroy needed a sand save to uh, stay 18 under so uh, it's going all the way to the wire in Dubai he shot in a par 3 here we might as well stay with us for just 10 seconds uh, uh, just to see how Rory does while while you're doing that I'll tell you what's on tomorrow's show Aidan O'Mahony is going to join us Derek McNamara is going to preview the Six Nations for us we've got a deadline day deal or no deal with Phil OTB With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.